South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right, and a very good morning across South Texas, the Hill Country, wherever you happen to be listening on the Internet. It is here in our area. Uh, winter kind of came back a little bit overnight. Uh, you know, it's I guess this is typically early spring. It is still middle of February, but uh, pretty chilly out there. If you haven't been out yet this morning, you'll definitely be putting on a jacket or at the very least uh, long sleeves and long pants when you head out. And if you're up in the hill country, probably going to see a freeze tonight. Don't think it's going to be a real hard freeze unless you're all the way up in Fredericksburg or Mason or far reaches of the hill country. But uh, we're looking at 30 degrees uh, from Bernie across to New Braunfels. Here in San Antonio, probably mid-30s, but would not surprise me at all if we get some fairly heavy frost in the morning the wind will have to die for that to happen but uh maybe one more night that you have to protect a lot of things including those tomato plants that you just planted by the way we've got a bunch of open lines uh if you unless you want to just hear me gab for a while pick up phone and give me a call 210-599-5555 get you on early before the lines get clogged up with calls a little later in the show and uh won't be any real long waits there so once again you know the number 210-599-5555 i guess one thing that i would sure mention uh about tomato plants because a lot of people have been planting tomato plants this week and uh gambling a little bit i know but you know it also gives you the chance to get tomatoes before anybody else has any but uh i think the probably the most important thing you need to do today is protect them from that cold wind the dehydrating uh forces of that wind probably eh, they probably do as much more damage than actual cold temperatures what i do what i recommend you do is go ahead and put your tomato cage around those tomatoes. I usually put two plants to a cage if I'm using the bigger cages, but that's strictly up to you. One plant per cage if you're using the slightly smaller ones. And uh, I do like the Texas tomato cages better than anything else I've seen on the market. But uh, anyway, uh, plant your plants, put your tomato cage down over the plant, and then wrap about the lower Oh, 18 to 24 inches of the cage with a good row cover material. I still like the insulate. You can take that one sheet and cut it into, you know, several pieces. One sheet will do several tomato cages. And then I just put it on with clothespins. But it, there, there are just no negatives about doing that. You're going to stop the wind, which is going to really help your plants going to give them some protection from the cold now if they suddenly say they're you know they're going to drop the or predict a forecast even colder than freezing what you could do is cut another little section just put a square of it over the top so you've got your plants completely encased in uh your row cover and that's going to protect them you know all the way down into the middle 20s and certainly not get looking at anything that cold at least for the san antonio and near hill country area but uh it's coming it's going to be here tonight so uh spend some time this morning and really the sooner you get that wind protection you know, on the plants, the better off they're going to be. I just can't tell you how dehydrating the wind is to those little plants, and it will set them back. It'll slow down their growth. If uh, The reason you planted them early because you want them to grow quickly. You want to have tomatoes before anybody else does. Well, you need to do a little bit more than just uh, water them and fertilize them 
when we've got uh, when we've got this kind of weather blowing in. Same thing goes if you put out some of the half-hardy bedding plants like begonias. I know they will stand up to a whole lot, but keep in mind that they're not real well established yet, and uh, that row cover over the top of them will be a good idea tonight to keep the frost off. Um, it's not really going to hurt most of your perennials, but uh, if you've planted any of the softer ones, any of the softer salvias that normally freeze back, once again, you may want to well, may want to cover them this evening. What I do when I've got a, a plant, uh, you know, that, that has some height, you want to put the row cover over it, but uh, you don't want to just crush it. Uh, you can put, uh, in the vegetable garden, what I usually do is make what looks kind of like a goal post without, with the two high posts on each end, just an inverted U, and I can stretch my uh, frost cloth, my insulate over that, weight down the edges, or pin them down to the ground, and it really protects things underneath. Lots of other things that I could talk about, but uh, looks like Tony and Robert and David all want to talk about uh, things that are going on in their garden. So uh, let's just get started with that. Tony's up first. Good morning, Tony. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, my question is about a uh, possible what the Robbie could be doing to one of my uh, oaks. I planted a, a young oak, live oak, about two years ago. It's about 15 feet tall. It has about a I'd say about three inch trunk, and okay. around the base of it, I put some liriope. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's in. Now I fertilized and watered it pretty, what I think is adequately, and everything was really nice and green. But what I noticed this winter is that while the liriope looks really green, really lush, the oak itself has has looked kind of has the leaves, the leaves are kind of pale. And mm-hmm. it doesn't like maybe maybe I mean, my thought is maybe the liriope is stealing nutrients from it. Is that possible? Not really. Um, it it is probably sharing some nutrients, you know, with the tree. But um, you may want to put a little extra fertilizer around, or if you want something that will benefit the tree most quickly, you can put a liquid product like you know Hasbro Plant or the Liquid Fish Blend or something like that. That uh, when you pour in a liquid, you know it's going to get down through the liriope and you know. Down down to the roots of the tree but this is a time of year that live oaks everybody's live oaks start looking a little puny because they're about to drop their leaves and you know put on a whole new burst of leaves so i it's i, I certainly wouldn't take the liriope out or anything like that i think it's uh, uh you know it's just a great way to soften have a two-layer appearance i'd love planting liriope around uh around trees and you know lots of flower beds and things like that but if you if you want to be on the safe side and just be sure that your oak is getting all the nutrients it needs then uh, just go with a couple applications of liquid fertilizer Uh, you say you planted about two years ago Okay, so the roots really haven't expanded all that far. It's not like you have to go way out away from it. But uh, um, and the liriope is how how wide is your uh, ring of liriope that you planted around it? It's a. I mean, it's really close. I mean, uh-huh. the liriope touches the trunk. Okay, and that's not a problem as long as it's not totally cutting off air circulation. As long as that root flare is exposed, just go a little bit outside of where the liriope is, and maybe put down a little bit of granular fertilizer, and then water that in with a little bit of has to grow plant or something like that. Uh, that will ensure that your tree has all the nutrients it needs. But I suspect the little bit of a puny look is just more than anything because of the time of the year. 
uh, and I wouldn't I certainly wouldn't panic over it uh, be sure that when you water it that you water it very very deeply um, I would be a little bit more worried about the liriope stealing water than I would uh, nutrients but uh, just be sure you're watering deeply enough and you don't have to once again go out very far away from the trunk because uh, those roots in two years probably have not grown more than a foot or two into the surrounding soil so i i don't see that you have a lot to worry about there tony i think it's uh um i, I think your tree is doing just fine and just what you'll expect to do it do every year this time of year okay so we'll, we'll get that you said it has to grow yeah has to grow plant is a liquid fertilizer by medina um, it's what we use. Well, I use it a lot of places. Uh, this main thing um, I use in my greenhouse, uh, in my vegetable garden. When uh, after the vegetable plants have been in for a little while, I start using it because it's a lot faster getting into the plants. It's uh, you know not not synthetic in nature, but uh, it, it's just liquids. Uh, plants don't eat so much as they drink. They can absorb small particles of material, but uh, you liquid fertilizer. It's just going to be available to them a lot more quickly than a dry granular fertilizer is going to be. Uh, even the best, you know, uh, whether it's Medina or Maestro, Nature's Creation, all of those still have to be acted upon by microbes in the soil for the plants to be able to use them. Liquid just gives you a little bit of a sort of an IV, a little bit of a jump start on nutrition. Got it. All right. Thank you for that. You are certainly welcome. Anything else I can do for you today? Bundle up and stay warm. <laughs> I know we'll talk again. And next in line is Robert. Good morning, Robert. Good morning. Good morning. Well, uh, I had called before about I brought in my Liar Me- Meyer lemon tree. Um, right. And it bloomed, and so right now it has uh, a few uh, fruit on it. But <clears throat> I've noticed that the leaves are doing various things. Some are getting yellow on the tips, and then it spreads mm-hmm. to the whole leaf. And some, like I'm looking at it right now, the green leaf is curling up on itself, uh, and some of them are just sort of curled up in different directions. <laughs> anyway. Welcome, welcome to growing citrus trees in a windy winter time. That's uh, most people's citrus are doing that. I don't know why the yellowing has been more prominent this winter than it uh, normally has. Uh, we've got, of course, here at the nursery, lots of citrus trees in containers, and we see some of the same thing. Uh, we went around and put uh, maybe a fourth of a cup of azomite, you know, in each larger pot. And uh, the leaves are already starting to green up. So if you want to do, you know, one more thing, a little fertilizer along with a little bit of azomite will help green it up. The curling is mainly just wind and cold. Uh, now, it, it, well, yours yeah, is in a in a pot, but it's in the house under a, yeah. a big grow light. And no uh, and and you haven't had it outside at all. No. Okay, you really need to put it outside on sunny, warmer days because it. Uh, uh, what you're looking at curling inside is low humidity. Where you have your central heat indoors, uh, your humidity is much, much lower than that tree would really like and much lower than it would be outside. So, um, 
when the <laughs> let's get past the night and then hopefully looking at a pretty nice stretch of weather but um it's it's not a house plant it wants to spend most of its time outdoors can come in when the weather is uh you know threatening to be too chilly or too windy or whatever but uh the the lack of humidity um anytime you've got a central heat and air conditioning system that's going to impact impact all your plants but it's sure going to affect something like a lemon tree I have, I do have a water bottle here that I spray. You know, <laughs> if you can do it, if you can do it about twenty-five times a day, uh, that's going to help. But unfortunately, unless you're using distilled water, it's going to leave a lot of calcium on the leaves. So, um, uh, yeah, misting. You know, it, I <laughs> I tease people about their house plants all the time and tell them if it makes you feel good, go ahead and do it. But it's not really benefiting your plants that much. Oh. Well, it feels, makes, makes me feel good, Bob. So. Oh, absolutely. That's the whole thing. You talk to it as well, and as long as the neighbors don't see you and start, you know, talking behind your back, <laughs> it's That's just right. fine. But uh, it, it it doesn't really do the same thing. Um, uh, it, it will benefit your plants, especially if you put a little bit of uh, fertilizer in with it. You can put a little bit of uh, molasses. You can put a little bit of has to grow, a little bit of liquid fish blend in there. And because the tree is still young, it'll absorb it directly through the bark uh, and less through the leaves. But uh, there are a lot of good things to say about you know misting a plant like that. But unfortunately, it's not really doing much to raise the humidity, and that's what's leading to your curling leaves. Oh, okay. Well, I, I have it on a dolly, so I, it mm-hmm. it is easy then for me to you know move it a little bit outside. Okay, smart man. <laughs> how how big a how big a pot do you have it in, Robert? Oh, let me see. It's about eighteen inches on a side, a square pot. Okay, and it's what three feet tall, maybe. The tree itself is one, yeah, little, maybe yeah, between three and four foot. Okay. Um, watch your watering real carefully on that. In all honesty, that's that's a pretty big pot for a fairly small tree. And uh, it's putting a little plant in a great big pot can be a little bit hard on it, especially at first, because the roots haven't really filled that pot out yet. And uh, the plant is not going to be taking the water up fast enough uh, to dry the soil the way it will when it's larger. So when you water, be sure to water really thoroughly, but be sure and check the soil right at the base of the plant before you water it again, because you can find that big pot stays moist pretty long. And uh, uh, in the future, when you get more citrus, because you're going to get hooked on this, and pretty soon you're going to have a lime, and then you're going to have a tangerine, but we won't go down that road quite yet. But... Uh, Leave them in the smaller pot until they are really root-bound before you start to move them into a bigger pot. I mean, you don't want to be a solid mass of roots, but that young plant just doesn't have the root structure to effectively take the moisture out of the soil. And when the moisture's in the soil, you've got less oxygen in there. So uh, um, you're doing fine since it's been in there a while, but if you get any more, leave them in the small pot a little bit longer before you put them in because that... That 18-inch square pot, that's going to handle that plant for the next five years, probably. Oh, okay. Very good. Then the uh, next thing is uh, a lot of the blue bonnet plants have been ma- making their plants. You know, lots and lots and lots of plants coming. So mm-hmm. is, is that to be expected this early in the season? 
Oh, yeah. Blue bonnets are totally cold hardy, and a blue bonnet, in order to bloom, goes through two life stages, so to speak. The first makes that little rosette of leaves, which is what you're seeing now. And the bigger that gets, the more roots it puts down, the longer the bloom will last, and the more flowers the plants will have. So you're just seeing the first half of a blue bonnet's life cycle. Um, six weeks from now, it's probably going to totally change shape, put up a uh, central growth, and uh, then bloom for you. So, uh, uh, yeah, that, that bushy little blue bonnet is just exactly what it's supposed to do this time of year, unless we're predicting weather below 15 degrees, and even that probably wouldn't hurt it. Excellent. Then the last thing, like yesterday with the, the uh, oak trees l- losing leaves right now, you know, uh-huh. a lot in the yard. So I, I took the lawnmower and put it on, you know, always put on, leave it on mulch setting. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, I lowered the blades, and so I, when I cut, it was mainly not cutting the grass, but just mulching the leaves. Is that mm-hmm. a good thing to do for the grass? Absolutely. Absolutely. You're doing you're doing very, very well. You're doing the same thing much of their nature does. Old Malcolm Beck's the one that taught us years ago that that tree has roots way down deep into the ground, and uh, its way of rejuvenating the soil is to bring up all those minerals, all the things that uh, it's able to reach, put them in the leaves, and then by shedding the leaves, it puts those minerals back on the surface where the tree and other things can benefit from it. So, um the people who rake up leaves and put them out by the street, I think I know the smart people go around and steal all their neighbors' leaves and bring them back and mulch them up too. But no, you're doing it absolutely right, and uh, just keep up the good work. Uh, would be good to fertilize if you haven't fertilized in the last 90 days because it takes a little while for the plants to process the nutrients and uh, get them to where the plants can use them. But other than that, just um, you know, just keep on doing what you're doing. Well, very good, then. I appreciate your time. It's always a pleasure. I appreciate your call this early morning. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, next in line is a David. Good morning, David. Good morning, Bob. How you doing? Oh, I'm off to a good start. Dark and early, as they say. And uh, I tell you what, this wind can go away. <laughs> I was kind of getting used to those shirt sleeve afternoons, but... Uh, It's going to be a little chillier today. It's going to be darn cold tonight, especially up in the hill country. But uh, look at that calendar. It's still just the middle of February, so we've got to expect a little more of it, I guess. Yes, sir. Um, This this is your favorite seed man, by the way. Oh, very good. How's everything in your world? Doing pretty good. We we packed up. We moved out to the country. Yeah. How many different... How many how many different varieties of seed do you have in those packages now? And we have about a thousand now. We we dropped a thousand <laughs> packages. So we have a thousand heirlooms now. Wow. I'm glad to hear it and glad you're doing well. Still send people to you every chance we get. Yes, sir. They they come by and they say you recommended them. Well, anyway, very um, good. Back in um Memorial Day, around that time period, you said something about um, hydrogen peroxide and how it helped dogs throw up. And I can testify that that is true. Mm-hmm. One of our dogs got, got into some, and I went into the kitchen. There was three of the largest piles of vomit I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> fortunately, yeah, fortunately, there's nothing toxic about it, but it... Uh... 
um, it sure does make a mess. Yeah, I had to get online, look it up, make sure that they were going to be okay. And Oh, my gosh. And um, somebody called you a while back about hydroponics, and they were having problems with their plants after they got a certain height. And um, they tried to hide, they tried hydrogen peroxide. They, they tried everything that you told them to. And we have a static um, hydroponic system. And mm-hmm. we just found that we have to drain the water every couple of weeks because the roots, they start melting together. I don't know why, but they, they melt together. And then, of course, they don't, they don't soak up any nutrients or anything. And so we started draining the water every, every two weeks, and the, the problem went away. Wow. And... Um, and so I wanted to ask you, we went to this, this rabbit breeder here a couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> and he had mounds of, of black gold in his cages, underneath his cages. Mm-hmm. So we, we we got all that, we brought it over, and I noticed that when the guys put it on, I wasn't here when they were out there spreading it, they put it uh-huh. about two or three inches thick on top of my, my garden beds. Uh-huh. So, you think that's going to be a problem? or? No, I, and you know, I'm not big on tilling because that just brings up too many weed seeds to the surface. But, you know, individually where you're planting out tomato plants or peppers or something like that, you know, I just take my trowel and just kind of turn it over, work a little bit of that into the soil, give it two or three good rains, which hopefully we'll continue to get. You know, it's going to settle down to where it's probably no more than an inch thick. And uh, again, I wouldn't want it piled right up against the base of anything other than tomatoes. Tomatoes, of course, root all the way up and down the stem, but they're about the only thing in your vegetable garden that does. But um, it's, you know, it's, it's not going to create any problems. All right, good. And I got my cornmeal to try to, to do something about the, the weeds pre-emergent. Uh-huh. I mean, we got weeds. We, we took over an old peanut farm out here. Uh-huh. And... It, the ground hadn't been worked in 11 years, and there are just, no matter what we do, the weeds defeat us. I mean, they just, it's just amazing. We tried everything out there. We, we put the mulch down, the, the black um, fiber down, and all, you know, they just, they just, they just grow through that weed barrier and smile. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so we, we got the, um, the cornmeal, and what was your, do I put it down as, as a solid or do I um, soak it and spray it? Um, well, you're not going to use just cornmeal. You're going to use corn gluten meal, which is a totally d- okay corn gluten meal. No, you're just going to put it down dry. You're going to put it down dry, but remember that it is a pre-emergent. Uh, it does not do anything to weeds that have already sprouted. What it does is keeps the newly sprouting weeds from being able to develop a root system, at least for a while, and then they tend to dehydrate and die. It doesn't do anything against perennial weeds, and like I say, once the weeds are green and growing, uh, it's just going to be a fertilizer to them. So it's uh, pre-emergence just don't solve all your problems, but, you know, every weed you prevent is one that you don't have to till or pull or whatever. So uh, it's it's not a bad thing to do, and, of course, you're using the right stuff since you're using the organic uh, material. But um, uh, it, it will help, but it's certainly not going to give you clean, bare soil. All righty. And I know a lot of people call in about the, the cut ants. Mm-hmm. They, they did a lot of damage to us out here in the beginning, and we finally got a handle on them. 
and we we use all the, the organic stuff out there that we can think of uh-huh try and, and we keep, the only thing we found that really do us any good is, is terminex really I, I hate using it but i don't have a choice so i had to let the ants have it all well, again, anywhere you can actually find the mounds, and down in your sandy soil, they're going to be big mounds. Um, do what you can, you know, to kill the mound. Uh, the one thing that I sometimes tell people to resort to, um, you know, even though it's not organic, is punch a hole down on the top, take one of your little uh, aerosol fumigators and fumigate the mound that way. And uh, that that is, to me, better than using a lot of toxics that are spread more widely through the soil. So, um, uh, anyway, cut ads for a problem. There's just no doubt about it. But uh, uh, glad you're doing well. Is the website still davidsgardenseed.com? Yes, sure it is. Very good. And how many varieties of tomatoes? We have about 100 uh, varieties of tomatoes. We have all of us. <laughs> We have all the the um, famous, not famous, popular yeah. Yeah. hybrids. Yeah. It's all heirlooms. David, I'm, I'm right up against news. If you want to hang on a second, we can talk a little longer. But this is KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. And Don tells me we're pretty much back to open lines, so I appreciate a call. If you've got a question or a comment, 210-599-5555. I was hoping David would hold on for a minute longer and give him a chance to talk a little bit more about himself. If you don't know him, he used to have a shop here in San Antonio, but as he was saying, he's moved down south. But he does mainly mail order, and the guy has more different kinds of seeds than you would believe. Uh, I think he said over a 1,000 varieties now a hundred varieties of tomatoes and uh, if you want to grow your own from seed you're just not going to find that kind of selection um, anywhere else that I know of uh, so far as I know other than his problem with the cut ants uh, virtually everything they do is organic and uh, uh, they really do have good quality seeds and they have uh, the seeds aren't in big packages uh, you know so many things you you get three times as many seed as you really wanted or ten times as many seed but anyway just talking about David's garden seed and uh, his packages are smaller they are economical enough that you can afford to get uh, a few seeds of ten different varieties and, and anyway plant a plant a pretty diverse selection of things uh, and uh, just haven't been a while since, or had been a while since I talked to him. So always glad to hear him. And like I say, if you're looking for a for a good local seed supplier, um, David's Garden Seed is uh, is a great place to look. Go go to the website and check it out. Uh, back to gardening. Uh, don't worry about your onions. Don't worry about your Oh, certainly don't worry about your garlic. Don't worry about the cool weather plants tonight. Uh, even up in the hill country, your broccoli is going to be fine. Your snow peas are going to be fine. It uh, may, if you've got things in bloom, it may set back the blooms on your snow peas a little bit. But this is going to be very temporary. Hopefully it's going to be the last uh, 
oh, hurrah, so to speak, for below freezing weather. But who knows? You know, we've had freezes as late as April. Uh, this year, Easter's early. Typically, when that happens, we 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 lose our our freezes, our freezing weather a little bit earlier. But uh, again, uh, right now they're saying 30 degrees for Bernie across to New Braunfels. And if you're up in Fredericksburg, Mark and all my other listeners up there, probably going to need to protect things pretty well tonight as far as new tender plants. Uh, if you've planted potatoes, uh, if the plants aren't up out of the ground yet, absolutely no reason to worry. If they've already got tops up, it's up to you. They can freeze down and they will come back out. Uh, if it's convenient, though, to uh, you know throw a little bit of row cover over them. And in this case, I know they haven't gotten very big, so you can just put a oh a couple of blunt sticks in there, or you know. Uh, maybe a cinder block on each side and just stretch your row cover over the top. That's going to give them all the protection they need from the frost or from uh, this fairly light freeze that we're looking at uh, tonight. But I know everybody's anxious to get your vegetable garden going. And uh, if you have planted things like squash and cucumbers, find a way to get some row cover over them because 30 degrees is definitely cold enough that it would do some damage. And my experience has been you're far better over to just use, uh, far better off to just use row cover. When I put row cover over and then, you know, turn the pot over upside down on top of it, it seems to get colder inside than it does with just the row cover alone. So uh, just, you know, insulate or whichever one you're using. The thing I love about the insulate fabric is that uh, it lets enough light through that you don't have to uncover things immediately. You can leave that. Uh, and you know, looking at uh, uh, looking at the forecast, we're not seeing any more really cold nights for the next ten days or so. But if you want to leave your your insulate over, it lets enough light through that the plants will still go ahead and grow and photosynthesize. So uh, don't worry about leaving it on a little longer if you want to. Uh, back to the phone lines. Uh, looks like Ernest has given us a call, which I appreciate. Good morning, Ernest. Good morning. Good morning. I was going to ask you, what can I put down for grass burrs? Um, the best thing you can put down is compost. Uh, where I have put down, uh, is this in your lawn or where, where are you fighting grass burrs? Uh, it'll be in the lawn. Yeah. Um, when I put down, and I uh, let me tell you, I had serious grass burrs. I had an area, grass burrs were so thick the dogs wouldn't walk into it. I put down about a half an inch of compost over that area. The next spring, I don't think I pulled but three or four sticker burr plants, you know, the whole spring long. So you need to get it down pretty quickly for it, uh, and it gives you lots of benefits besides sticker burr control. Uh, the other thing you can put down if you don't want to go to quite as much work as spreading compost is you can put down what they call a pre-emergent herbicide. It doesn't keep the grass burrs from sprouting, but it keeps them from forming a root system, and assuming we have some dry weather, they will shrivel and die. If we get into a lot of, you know, rainy, misty, wet weather, the pre-emergents don't work very well, but it looks pretty dry for the next week or 10 days. The only one of the pre-emergents that I recommend is the uh, 
one uh, which is called corn gluten meal, not corn meal, but corn gluten meal. And it's not 100%, but it will stop a lot of them. But if you just, if you really want to be rid of grass burrs in that area, uh, bite the bullet, put down about half an inch of a good manure-based compost, and uh, you'll have a lot fewer weeds. You'll have a lot stronger grass. Okay, well, thank you. You're more than welcome. Anything else I can help with this morning? Oh, that was it. Well, then you get out and have a good day. Be careful out there on the roads, and uh, I know we'll talk again. Uh, Time for us to take a short break here, and guess what I get to tell you about officially, and that is Nature's Creations Corn Gluten Meal. They call their spreadable corn gluten meal because it will go through a fertilizer spreader, just like putting down fertilizer. Very, very easy to put out. And double benefit, it works well against the seeds that are getting ready to sprout, and uh, it also serves as pretty good fertilizer. Got a lot of nitrogen in there, and uh, it will it will do a lot of feeding, and it'll do a pretty good job of weed control. It comes in both small and large packages. Uh, once again, uh, it's, it's an organic product. It is certainly non-toxic. Don't think it's going to give you 100% weed control, but it will. It'll go a long way towards stopping grass burrs, along with your dandelions, your henbit, your chickweed, all all those different things that are starting to come up. Now, remember, once things have sprouted, pre-emergence don't work against them. They work against the seed as it sprouts to keep it from forming a root system. But if you're looking at uh, the best for a pre-emergent, the best one that we will recommend to you, it is corn gluten meal. And if you're looking for the best form of corn gluten meal, you want the spreadable form by Nature's Creation. Nature's Creation makes a lot of great products, including soils and compost and mulches. They package regular corn meal, too, so don't get it confused. They call theirs fungicide corn meal, a little bit of garlic in it, and it is a natural way to control a lot of different fungi. But what we're talking about here is the pre-emergent effect of corn gluten meal. Nature's Creation's got a great line of it, and it is spreadable. Look for it wherever fine uh, garden products are sold. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and uh, <laughs> chilly morning out there. It's going to be a bit of a windy day. Not a bad day to get out. Just bundle up a bit to do it, and uh, it's good working weather. I'll put put it that way. If I weren't here at work, I'd probably be cutting firewood or oh, controlling cedar or all the other things I do with my time outside. Uh, looks like Don and Kurt are waiting to talk. That leaves two lines open. Why don't you grab one of them? Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five, and since since Don called him first, that's where we start. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I was wondering, you were talking about corn gluten meal, and you say it was high in nitrogen? Yes. Can that be added with fertilizer to, to do a nitrogen boost kick on your initial fertilizing? You can actually just delay putting down your other fertilizer if you are putting down the corn gluten meal. It is, uh, you see, what, what corn gluten meal is, 
the most corn that is grown, other than what they stupidly turn into ethanol, but we won't go down that road. Um, but the principal thing that they're doing is squeezing the, the sugary content out of it to make uh, high fructose corn syrup goes in the candies and all the sweet stuff out there. And when they take the sugar out, what's left behind is the protein that was in the corn. And that proteins are always high in nitrogen. And so that's the reason it has a lot of nitrogen in it. Uh, it's not going to be as long-lasting. Uh, it's not as you know diversified uh, and as far as the nutrient sources as your good fertilizer, but uh, if uh, if you're putting down corn gluten meal as a pre-emergent, you can delay putting down your other fertilizer for oh thirty to forty-five days. Yeah, because I was looking for a boost when you start planting tomatoes to get them up and going quick. You know, if you want to do that, um, do it with a liquid. Uh, has to grow liquid fish blend, uh, some of those. That's going to give you, uh, um, I, I, I'll tell you honestly, when I've used corn gluten meal in the garden, I felt like it stunted things rather than really helped them along. So uh, maybe that's just my experience, my soil, but uh, I the garden is one place that I don't use a lot of corn gluten meal. I know other folks do. I know you know you'll hear lots of talk about it, but I've I've not seen that much benefit as far as growth. Now, one thing that uh, I will tell you that's based on some research that uh, a friend and customer here did. He started fertilizing his tomatoes with liquid. Uh, a lot sooner than most of the so-called experts do, uh, and he grows a lot from seed. And he started using, uh, I guess, mainly the has to grow, but just as soon as that little seedling emerged from the ground, he didn't even wait till it had true leaves on it. And you ought to see the pictures of how stocky his plants are and what a what a good seedling he grew by starting the fertilizer early. So uh, that that's the way to give that you know, to give that extra burst if you want to, uh, rather than something like corn gluten meal. Yeah, I'm always looking at which is going to be the best angle, which bang for the buck, I guess you could say. <laughs> well, uh, liquid fertilizer, uh, like the fish blend, the has to grow, and there's some other products out there. I know uh, the... Uh, Oh, the people at, uh, what am I trying to say, uh, the Happy Frog folks, uh, they make a couple of good organic liquid fertilizers, but the ones that I still use, I, and this is what I do in my greenhouse and actually on garden as well, is I alternate the two Medina products, the uh, what they call Hastero plant and what they call their liquid fish blend, and uh, I've never had better growth. Uh, it just uh, is outstanding. Now, in the vegetable garden, I do put down some long-acting dry fertilizer before I plant. But to really keep those plants coming on strong, a little liquid fertilizer every couple of weeks uh, really does a number for me. Okay, now look in your crystal ball and tell me when it's time to start planting. Uh, after after the temperature stops getting to 32 degrees. <laughs> I, I always laugh because I used to work with an absolutely wonderful friend and mentor up in the hill country, 
gentleman named Alton Grimm who's been gone a few years. But uh, I used to watch people come into his nursery and they say, when's it going to freeze, Mr. Grimm? And he'd look at him and say, when it gets to 32 degrees. <laughs> so my, my crystal ball is awful cloudy when it comes to weather forecast. It works, works real well in July and August when it says hot and dry. But uh, this time of year, it's anybody's guess. But uh, I personally, um, and you're you're a little further south, I wouldn't hesitate to plant tomatoes, but I would very definitely put the cage over them, put insulate around to stop the wind, and I'd be ready to, you know, clothespin that little square over the top of that if the temperature is going to get much below freezing. So uh, I think you're definitely, you know, 30 days away probably from planting peppers and eggplants, but uh, I you're probably okay to plant your tomatoes if you will you know, wrap them with insulate and be prepared to put it over the top as well. All righty, Bob. Thank you very much. And, you know, tomato plants are really pretty cheap. And uh, I don't know that I'd plant the whole garden, but I think it's worth planting a few just to get a jump on things because it's just nothing tastes better than that first ripe tomato of the spring in that vegetable garden. So you may not want to plant a 100 plants, but I wouldn't hesitate to put out a half a dozen or so. All right. Talk to you later, sir. All right, Don. Thanks for the call. Uh, Kurt's up next. Good morning, Kurt. Hey, good morning. How are you this morning? I'm um, off to a good start. Still awful dark out there. I'm I'm ready for daylight and what little warmth that sun's going to give us today. Yes, sir. Me too. I'm ready to put down some compost on my Bermuda grass. And a quick question: I've got it. I've had it trimmed down about an inch, and it's just now starting to come out of dormancy. I'm starting to see a few green sprouts. Mm-hmm. If I put it down, is it possible you could actually smother it, or is it okay to really start no. making it in? No. Uh, any any compost you're buying in bulk is going to be, you know, well enough finished that you're you're not going to hurt uh, your, your Bermuda with it at all. Yours is getting off to an early start. I haven't seen in my yard... I haven't seen all the greener weeds by Bermudas. Uh, the runners are, are green where you can see them up on the surface, but uh, uh, yours is just, you know, it's just getting off to a good early start. So I would have no hesitation at all putting your compost on and uh, um, do water it if you can. That's not a you know, mandatory thing, but compost releases ammonia gas. And when you water, you kind of you bind that up in a form and carry it back down into the ground, and it's it's a great fertilizer. So uh, that's the reason I, I do recommend watering after you spread the compost. Not that it's going to hurt if you don't, but you get a little bit of extra nutrient, avail- nutrient availability when you do that. Okay, sounds good. All right, I got my I got my leaf blower fired up, and uh, I'll go get my first scoop, and then I knock it around. So a very good. Have when was the last time you put down actually put down fertilizer? Uh, I've been put. I put it down about a month ago. Okay, then you, you're in good shape. If if you said three months, I'd tell you to put some more fertilizer down and then put the compost on top of it. But if you fed in the last thirty days, you're you're good until probably the first of April for you ought to think about applying more. But you'll you'll love what that compost will do as far as weed suppression and uh a year Bermuda grass, uh, like I say, don't expect it to just jump out of the ground because it's still pretty darn chilly. But um, you're off to a good start if you're getting some greening up going yeah. there. I just don't know if they would suppress it in any way. But no. Still, a lot of it's in dormancy. It'll love you for it. 
Okay, it, would it um, would it be helpful to put corn gluten meal down first and then put a compost on it or on top of it? Or I don't um, think that would do any. Yeah, that's not going to do any good at all. Um, the corn gluten meal is going to be totally broken down by the microbes in the compost. Um, if you were going to do that, I'd I'd tell you to back off putting your compost down. But your compost itself has a lot of pre-emergent qualities uh, because of the you know the different nutrients that are in there. So um, if you're putting down compost, you're doing all the pre-emergent that you need to do. Just save your money and save the corn gluten meal for another use. The fulvic acids, the humic acids, uh, those are just as effective uh, against keeping the seeds from growing. Perfect. Okay. Well, as always, appreciate it. Thanks a million. Have a great day. And as always, great questions you ask, Kurt. Appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. <laughs> All right. Goodbye. Uh, let me take uh, just a second here um, before we go to a commercial break. And by the way, we've got open lines again, so 210-599-5555. Uh, for those of you all that are saying, I really want some color in my yard, but I don't want to worry about things freezing, uh, there are some colorful plants that you can plant right now that don't mind, uh, you know, a little bit of frost, a little bit of cold, actually a lot of cold. Uh, we're talking about snapdragons, talking about petunias, talking about dianthus, talking about stock. Those are all plants that will take a freeze without any problem whatsoever. Uh, your petunias are going to be spectacular when you get them in early, bloom all the way up through the middle of the summer. Some varieties will go really well into the heat, but uh, they're one of the showiest things you can plant right now. Snapdragons, you've got your choice of heights from the little minis all the way up to the ones that will grow three feet tall. Snapdragons are cold hardy down into the 20s, and they're not going to last real long into the hot, hot summer weather, but they are one of the most spectacular spring plants you will ever find. Um, your dianthus, little almost carnation-like flowers, lots of varieties, lots of color, uh, very cold hardy. They go down in the middle teens with no damage. But uh, they're going to grow and bloom all through the spring. They last on into the summer. If we have a mild summer, they may even survive all summer and bloom again in the fall. Same thing is true of your stock. Now, stock I love because it's one of the most fragrant plants out there. It also makes a good cut flower. You can cut and, you know, bring in, put in a vase inside your home, and uh, uh, the cut blooms will last quite a long time. Uh, again, one of my favorite cut flowers. Grew up in my grandfather's flower shop uh, doing all sorts of different things with those. But stock is another plant that, if you can find it, great thing to plant right now, whether it's in pots or directly in the ground. All of these things are completely cold-hardy. And uh, if we get a real hard freeze, it may sit back to the blooming just a little bit, but not for long. So if you're looking for color, um, remember that there are petunias, snapdragon, stock, dianthus. Uh, probably totally safe to plant alyssum. Um, and it's going to go well in the summer as well. So don't don't settle for a drabby hard. There are lots of ways to get color out there and uh, color that, that won't mind if we do get a, a bit on the chilly side. 
Uh, looks like I better pause and do a uh, quick break here, and it looks like I get to talk to Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. I talked to uh, oh, I talked to Danny and I talked to Rex both over there this week, and talk about just great guys dedicated to putting on the last roof you will ever have to put on your home, even if you're in new construction. Southwest Metal Roofing Systems loves it when you tell your builder, "Hey, I want Southwest Metal Roofing Systems to put the roof on my home." That's what we did with our groundwater district office up in Bernie and boy are we pleased with the results. Southwest Metal Roofing Systems believes that you should only have to put a roof on your home once. Uh, Their motto, do it once, do it for life. Their roofs are of the absolute best material out there plus their workmanship. I mean, they do it almost up to hurricane standards. You're just not going to have a problem with weather. Our Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof here at the nursery stood up to baseball size hail with barely a dimple. Uh, my roof up in Bernie, been on about 20 years now, and uh, I just don't even think about it. It's up there, and I've not called them once with a single problem. There are choices. There are different colors that you can uh, get if you want a different look other than standing seam metal. They have the same metal that looks exactly like slate shingles or ceramic tile or, oh gosh, even uh, even slate. If you're looking to replace your existing roof or if you're building a new home, great reasons to call Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. They give you the best guarantee in the industry. You're going to save money on your energy bills every month. And most insurance companies will give you a discount on your homeowner's insurance. How many more reasons do you need to dial 210-822-6868? That's 210-822-6868 for Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening on this early Saturday morning. Uh, I guess everybody's doing what I would have liked to have done, and that's just pull the colors, uh, covers up and uh, stay in bed a little bit longer. We're going to talk to many, and then it could be you next. If you pick up that phone and dial, lucky you, you don't even have to get out of bed. Just dial 210-599-5555 while I say good morning, Minnie. Please. Good Please. morning. Yeah. Please don't laugh about my question because I started to blow all my leaves onto the grass. Uh-huh. Well, now I want to fertilize and I want to put compost on the grass. Do I need to rake the leaves off? No, I... no, not at all, not at all. Oh. Uh, do you need? Does your grass need to be mowed to be even up or anything like that, or does it is it looking good the way it is? It looks good, but you know, mowing if that would help it. Well, if you if you yeah, if you mow, you'll chop those leaves up a little bit, which means they'll break down faster. But uh, no, it's you you leave those leaves right there where Mother Nature intended, and if you can chop them up a bit, all the better. But put your Mm -hmm. fertilizer down, put your compost down, and get ready to the prettiest yard you've had in a long time. Well, bless you, Bob. I'm so glad to hear that. 
<laughs> and that is not a silly question. That's a great question, and uh, I wish everybody had the sense to do that. Too many people blow those leaves out in the street and put them out there for the garbage yeah. man, and that's a waste of good organic material. It's a mm-hmm. waste of good nutrients. Uh, your grass is going to love you for it, and your trees and shrubs that have their roots out up underneath the grass, they're going to mm-hmm. thank you as well. You made my day. Well, then my day's made by helping you. Thank you, Bob. You're welcome, Minnie. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, I tell you what, there are a couple of other things that uh, I would tell you about getting things off to a to a good start. Uh, you know that it's well as the days get longer, your your soil and things like that are is going to need more moisture. And uh, get out there and get be sure your sprinkler system is set to where it runs long enough to put down an inch of water. Uh, people always say, how long should I run my sprinkler on grass? Uh, long enough to put down an inch of water. I'm going to tell you in just a few minutes about something you can do that uh, uh, will mean you don't have to water as much, especially in the vegetable garden. But for now, just be sure that if you've got an automatic system that it is properly set, it's hopefully been only running about every three weeks now through the winter months, Watching the weather, we may be in the 80s next week, believe it or not, so we're coming into the time that unless we get good rain, you better start thinking about watering every 10 days, uh, every two weeks or so, and if you've got an automatic system... you know, it's pretty easy to do. Uh, and, and by the way, people say, well, how do you know if you're putting down an inch of water? It's real easy. You simply turn the system on. You put out some little straight-sided dishes or little mini rain gauges or empty cat food cans or something like that. Time how long it takes your sprinkler system to run an inch of water into those containers. And that's how long you need to let that system run each time it runs. Much, much better to give you grass and shrubs and trees and everything a thorough soaking and then wait a while before you water again that's so much better for the plants than watering frequently and lightly because that thorough soaking gets the water down to the roots where they where it really does some good and uh I just, uh, it is, it is so wasteful to water frequently and lightly and it just does not give you plants what they need. So one more thing for you to do. Looks like Peggy and Fred now are on the phone line. So we start with Peggy. Good morning, Peggy. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Thanks for calling. <laughs> you bet. Uh, I wanted to ask you uh, about my wildscape uh, yard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Intentionally like or otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, spectacular blue bonnet season. Great. Looks like. Uh, also, I'm having a good season of Maltastar thistles. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> what's, uh, what's the best way to stay on top of those things? It's that has gotten to be one of the most serious invasive weeds that's out there. And the problem is where you want to enjoy your blue bonnets and paintbrush and, you know, all your spring wildflowers. Uh, the only thing that will get the thistles um, is, you know, would be harmful to your wildflowers as well. And much as I hate to say it, a really thick pair of gloves and, and pulling is going to be about the only thing in an area with a lot of other vegetation where you have bare soil, that push-pull hoe 
does a number on them, and uh, I've found at least where they've come up in my yard that if I can cut them off below ground level, they don't come back. They don't re-sprout the way some of the other things do, but uh, nobody's come up with a real good answer to the Maltasar thistle other than try whatever you do. Try to keep it from going to seed and get any more of it than you already have. Uh, the plants, you know, didn't survive the winter. What comes up is going to... Uh, you know, be from seed that was left last year. Uh, if your wildflowers are already, uh, you know, up and sprouted, you can use a pre-emergent. But I, I really don't recommend that highly because there are so many of the wildflowers that haven't even uh, haven't even sprouted yet. So, um, if you've got two acres, it's a serious problem. If you've got, you know, a reasonable size yard like I do, at least on my little inner yard. Uh, I can go through and pull for 15 minutes a day, and by the end of the week, I'll have every one of them gone and generally don't have to go back and do it again. And like I say, if you don't have thick grass, that uh, that push-pull hoe does a real good job of cutting them off just below ground level, which does eliminate them. Okay, I've been doing a lot. Do you um, Have they gone? Are they making seeds yet? Do you have to pick up all those plants that you're pulling I just to be on the safe side, I would, and I just you know have a little empty bucket out there that I could just throw them into. No chances are they have not started making seeds, but they start at a very young age. So uh, uh, it's not going to be long before I'm definitely going to tell you uh, uh, to collect them. But if you can, uh, it's a good idea to go ahead and do it anyway. Put them. Uh, um, I put them on the burn pile, but you can't burn in town. So just put them somewhere that, uh, you know, you can pile your other compost- compostable materials, whether it's leaves, grass, clippings, whatever. Mm-hmm. In a compost ty- pile, the seeds will be broken down to where they cannot sprout. Oh, okay. Now, what about out in the pasture? There's, <laughs> I guess there's just nothing you can do out in the, those big areas. we got uh, some yeah. cows, but I don't think they like them either. <laughs> They really don't. Shred down as best you can. And uh, the problem with Maltostar thistle is that it, you know, it makes that sprout that comes up that has seeds up high, but it also puts out right at the base. It'll put out, it's mm-hmm. kind of like its own insurance policy. It'll make uh, just a handful of seeds real close to the ground. So um, I don't see it at least where I've got, you know, good native grasses, but places where the cows have eaten it down a little too much, uh, it's an issue. It is very definitely an issue. But your best bet, again, is going to be, you know, spraying some molasses, doing everything you can to thicken up your pasture grass. Okay. Well, I appreciate all that info. Thank you so much. Now, one of these days, hopefully, um, we're going to have a little insect pest, but it's not a pest. It's your friend uh, in that it eats Maltostar thistle and only a handful of other things they're using with some pretty good success i believe up in montana but for whatever reason uh the powers that be uh have kind of suppressed bringing it around to other parts of the country um our government at work for us once again but hopefully <laughs> this little weevil uh that has done a pretty good job of suppressing it in some other areas hopefully we'll be able to get those one of these days and they will take care of the problem it looks far better than any chemicals or you know any any sprays because once again 
Um, it is it is a broadleaf plant, and there there are toxic chemicals that they, they seem to love that you can spray out that will have some effect on controlling it. But my hope is that within uh, the foreseeable future, we will have a little insect that targets that and helps get them under control. But uh, I tell you, I'm already watching. I'm I'm seeing the big old Russian thistle start to sprout. I've not seen a lot of the Maltostar thistle start sprouting yet. Uh, those bigger, that, that big old Russian thistle, beautiful as it is, they say one plant can make several hundred thousand seeds. So uh, oh, control wow. those as well. The The good thing is that it seems to be, um, oh golly, it seems to uh, be cyclical. Some years will have a lot of them, some years will have very few of them, even though there's the same number of seeds out. That's the good news. The bad news is it seems to be one of those years when there are lots of seeds sprouting. So uh, I think those of us <laughs> with... Uh, like they're flourishing. <laughs> yeah. As the, those of us that have more than just a postage stamp yard are going to be spending some time controlling them. But uh, once again, I do that on the big ones in the yard. I do it with a push-pull hoe in bigger areas. I just mow them off uh, regularly so they don't make that seed head. Got it. Okay. Thank you so much. You are certainly welcome, and thank you for the call this morning. And, uh, Fred, hang on just a second. I don't want to get behind on commercials here because I want to give you all the time you need. So let's get this break done fairly quickly here. And this is my chance to tell you about a new product that's out there. It's called Aqualock. Uh, veteran-owned, uh, some folks up in Bernie. It's a, it's a good company and very good people. And it's a combination of a lot of interesting things, some biostimulants. Uh, there's some good worm castings in there. But it contains a, a oh, we would call it a hydrophilic gel, something that attracts and holds moisture in the soil. Now, it's going to be most useful in the vegetable garden because uh, uh, it, it is most effective when it's worked into the soil. You can put it over your lawn in other areas too and it will help some but where you can actually incorporate it into the soil as you do when you're planting in your vegetable garden it will really cut down on the number of times you have to water it safely holds the moisture in the soil without the problem of uh, de- depleting the amount of oxygen that's in there it's a natural product it's oh gosh it's based on some different uh, natural fiber products breaks down over time doesn't work uh, or doesn't interfere with fertilizers at all, and it's not damaged by fertilizers, even the kind that I don't like. It's going to stay in there for probably about a year and a half or so. So moving into this hot summer weather, if you would like to not have to water that flower garden as often, not have to water that vegetable garden as often, it's a product you need to look for. It's called Aqualock, A-Q-U-A-L-O-C-H. It's one of several good products that I'll be telling you about that this company is offering. Once again, local company, good folks up in Bernie producing this, and it really does work. I know you find it in Rainbow Gardens. I'm sure you'll be finding it in a lot of other nurseries uh, in the not-too-distant future. Look for it. It's called Aqualock. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening on a nice Saturday morning out there. Even a little chilly, just just put on that jacket and uh, uh, be moving around because the wind is very definitely a little biting this morning. Uh, our crew's out there already unloading a big semi full of plants, and it's just not going to be a bad day at all, just a little bit on the cool side. My um, next callers are going to be Fred, Ken, and John. Fred is first in line. Good morning, Fred. Morning, Bob. Morning, sir. How are you today? 
<laughs> oh, off to a off to a good start. I'm I'm ready for spring, but the reality in me and having seen a a lot of South Texas springs, I know that we can't expect it's going to be warm every day when it's still the middle of February. But it it was not pleasant to go out and feel that north wind went so hard this morning. Well, we're getting closer. Yes, sir. Every day. <laughs> Every day, and looks like next week, golly, we're going to be in the 70s, pushing 80 degrees most of the week. So one thing about it, it changes rapidly. It sure does. Hey, this morning, David, and you were talking about uh, all the weed problem that we have southeast of San Antonio where we have the deep sands. Right. What would you, what would you think about in the fall planting a cereal rye or even an oat or a mixture of both? And let that grow up and keep the sun from hitting the sand in the spring when those grass burrs and all those other little weeds are starting, those warm season weeds that are starting it's, to come up. And cool it's and a great, great thing to do, Fred, but I'd go with the legume. I'd go with the vetch or Austrian winter peas or something like that. So you're going to get the benefit of a cover, cover crop, but you're also going to get the benefit of a plant that has the little nitrogen-fixing uh, bacteria in the little nodules on the roots. Uh, the only problem, you know, with fall planting, and this year has fortunately been a little bit different, but it's just uh, we've had three or four really dry years, and... Uh, I know some people that have spent a lot of money on seed and not seen much results uh, because unless you can irrigate, as you mentioned, that sand, it lets the moisture move on through pretty quickly. But it's it's a great idea. But, uh, you know, vetch or Austrian winter peas or even some of the clovers are never going to be a weed problem, and they're going to do an awful lot to shade the soil, to build the organic material in the soil, and uh, to suppress the growth of the things we don't want, plus you can graze them off, uh, you know, in the spring, just like you could the uh, the oats or the, you know, rice or things like that. You know, one thing, though, that I've seen is it's difficult to find those legume seeds that are already coated with rhizobia. So many people try to sell those seeds, and they're not inoculated, and when you go and you check, you have had a plant growing, but there's no nitrogen fixing. So well, yeah, you, I, I, I am not real crazy about the pre-treated seeds because, uh, uh, you know, over time you can, you know, they they don't survive. The little microbes don't. What I and I bought from uh, Douglas King Seed, and uh, when I bought vetch, you know, I'll just uh, get them to uh, sell me a little package of inoculant. And uh, I still use a spreader or a cedar that's probably 100 years old, although it's been a while since I've gotten out and done a lot of planting uh, business. Just Life's been pretty busy. But I would just, you know, put the seed in, in my cedar and sprinkle the inoculant over the top of it and either stir it around with a stick or stir it around with my hands. And that does about as good a job as any pre-treated seed and i know i'm getting good fresh microbes and uh um most any company selling seed can certainly provide you with the uh, inoculant to go along with the seed and uh that 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 has solved that problem for me it's a real good point in that uh the seed will sprout and grow anyway but it'll sprout and grow a whole lot better you know if you have the uh the inoculant uh if you have the microbes already there well, to have the to have the legume plants growing, it sure is beneficial to make sure you're 
fixing some nitrogen at the same time that you're growing. Oh, absolutely. Abs- absolutely. And uh, it's, you know, <laughs> it's a good fall thing. Now, and the one thing I guess you're fortunate about being being down south is you don't have quite the deer issue that uh, those of us in the hill country do. Uh, my good friend and neighbor, former county judge, his his patch, you know, is is deer proof fence. But every time that I have put out vetch or something like that, the the deer are standing there waiting for those little plants to come up. So uh, that's one thing you've got you've got going for you is you don't have as many mouths trying to go after that feed. Well, okay. Well, um, if you had one last question, it's getting spring is rapidly approaching. If you had to choose between either putting out the Medina growing green or compost this late in the season, if you had to choose one, which would you do? Oh, man, that's a tough choice. Um, oh, it's time to do both. Yeah, it's uh, probably I would do the fertilizer. Um, but I would send what I would do first of all is send a soil sample down to NOAA at Texas Plant and Soils Labs. See how much nitrogen you've got in the soil already. If he says you're doing okay, then I would put the compost. If he says you're sorely deficient in nitrogen, because that's the main thing you're going to be short on. You got plenty of potassium and you've got probably enough phosphorus. But I'd I'd send that sample to NOAA. If he says you've got enough nitrogen, I go with the compost. If he says you're really low on nitrogen, I go with the fertilizer that that doesn't give you an absolute answer but it tells you how to get to that answer in an educated way excellent okay well thank you very much and it's always good to talk to fred morales on a saturday morning uh we'll talk a little bit more sometime tell all your family and everybody i said hello fred it's good to hear your voice thank you sir man who does a lot to help farmers and ranchers throughout South Texas down at Morales Feed. I just I recognize his voice when I see Fred on there. It's time for news. We'll be back in just a minute with uh, Ken and John here on KTSA San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. Let's get back to gardening. It's going to be Ken and John and then Turkey Tom. Ken is first in line. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, Bob. I'm Good morning. The best, uh, uh, I'm looking for the best uh, bulk compost uh, garden soil mixture. And I know it's the old stone and soil on the west side used to have a good organic mix. Did the folks that bought them out keep that going with the organic? They're still buying from the same supplier, which is New Earth, to the best of my knowledge. The one thing I don't like is that, uh, you know, that most all the compost out there from them has uh, some biosolids in it. I would recommend them if they have uh, a biosolid-free compost, because that's certainly what I'm going to use on my vegetable garden. And uh, um, I, you know, even on my yard proper, you might check with Landscape Solutions and Nursery that's sort of out that direction. I know they work hard at getting really, really clean compost in, and uh, uh, that's that's just the question that I would be asking. I know up in the Hill Country, we've got some places like GeoSource and uh, some good ones that uh, have totally biosolids free, but. Uh, 
Uh, people that bought Sona Soiler call Site 1, and uh, I I need to get on the phone and call all their locations and find out. But that that's my only objection. Uh, if they have biosolids-free compost, I'll recommend them highly. If not... Um, I I just don't know. I know, like in your area, like I say, this uh, organization called uh, Landscape Solutions and Nursery, uh, they have been working really hard at getting good, clean compost. Where are they located? Uh, they're going over toward Casterville. I have to admit, I've not been over there. I just know them by reputation and some customers that have been over that way and told me they were really pleased with what they got. What about the New Earth on the southeast side? Do they have a, co- a compost garden soil mix? Uh, yes, uh, they'll probably uh, they'll have the what they call uh, top dressing or lawn dressing, and that's basically a sand and compost mix, uh, which is good for for top dressing a yard. They also have a garden soil, which is great for uh, raised beds and things like that. But once again, I verify that it's biosolid free. Gotcha. I appreciate the info. I really appreciate the call this morning. Uh, you get out and enjoy, Ken, and I'll uh, and and if you have a chance, get back to me with what you learn. I, my day seems to be pretty busy with uh, the usual. <laughs> Everything goes on with the retail business, but uh, if you have a chance to check it out, I would love to hear back from you. I will do that, Bob. Thank you. Thank you, Ken. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, next in line is John. Good morning, John. Well, I'll tell you, that Lone Star flag is just ripping out there. <laughs> Amen to that. Amen sure. to the greatest state in the in the place. The wind chill factor is something you need to look at this morning. Yeah. Um, yeah, bundle up. And if you keep the wind off, a, a good windbreaker. And if you're moving around, it's really not all that bad. Uh, I'm sitting here talking on the radio. Some of our guys are out front unloading the semi. <laughs> <laughs> this is one time I'm just as happy to be in here, but uh, all those plants are going to come out of those boxes and say, oh, man, said it's, it wasn't like this in California. You were talking about the wildflowers a little bit ago. I would mm-hmm. call and tell you about the flocks. Last year, the flocks bloomed all winter long. Oh, wow. And had a show in spring. I got five acres, and there's I section it off. There's one section that just does wildflowers. It's poor soil, but the wildflowers uh-huh. really go to town there. And last year, um, everything but blue bonnets. I don't have blue bonnets. It was a real show. This year, the sand and gravel is um, really putting on a show. I think it's from that intense heat and drought that we had it has to be that again followed by good rains <laughs> you wouldn't have anything if you hadn't gotten some good rains but uh, uh is this the drum and flocks the the red one that does so well for you the just beautiful deep red yeah yeah that's one of my favorites and that's one that uh we don't see as much of, but if you've got some moisture, it's it does very well in poor soils, and uh, it's it's uh, you know you're you're just doing well, and uh, it's just going to get prettier for the next couple of months. So whatever you're doing, which is probably just leaving it alone, keep on doing the same thing. And I had some variegated uh, white with with red streaks in the flocks, and uh-huh. pure white. Can I harvest those seeds or not? 
It's hard to harvest flock seed. Uh, if you can get out there as the little seed pods oh, mature, which means they're going to turn brown, but the seed is fairly fine, so you got to pick them. you got to put them in a paper bag and let them open. Um, I, the, you might, and, and I don't know how much luck you'll have getting through to him, but uh, call Wild Seed Farm sometime. Talk to John Thomas if he's available and ask him how they harvest flock seed. They've got acres and acres and they're certainly the biggest wildflower seed producer. They have built special equipment just for harvesting some of the different kinds of seeds and, uh, um, he's a pretty nice guy. I imagine he'll share with you any secrets they have about harvesting flock seed, and then he'll probably offer to buy any surplus that you have. But uh, that's the guy that's going to tell you the the most about how and how successful you will be as far as harvesting uh, drum and flock seed. Well, I sure hope that uh, wildflowers come out because I haven't been on the road driving, but... Uh, from what I see on my property here, it's going to be skinny. Well, it just, you know, remains to be seen. My partner made a trip up to uh, celebrate her brother's birthday and uh, said it was sure green and, uh, you know, along the roadsides at least and said there's lots of moisture in the creeks and the ponds. So we just need two or three good follow-up rains, and I think we may surprise you at uh, how, how good the wildflower crop will be. But uh, just got to have that soil moisture. And right now, the next week or 10 days don't look too good. All right. Let's pray for rain then. Amen. Thanks for the call, John. Always a pleasure visiting with you. And, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and take another call. And that would be Turkey Tom. Good morning, Turkey Tom. Good morning, Bob. I got to tell you, this morning we woke up with a start. We had a magnitude 4.7 earthquake about five miles from the house this morning at 1230 oh, this morning. Wow. And where are you? We live down We live down here in Kosciuszko, and it, it was just a couple miles from Falls City was where the earthquake was at. So that's our second big one in six months we've had down here. Taking too much minerals out of the soil. but uh, Yeah, it's doing something. But, uh <laughs> All you and your family and buildings are okay, I trust? Yeah, we're all okay. There's a couple things on the floor that weren't on the floor before we went to bed, but that's a, that's a small matter, you know. Oh, yeah. But, well, glad you're okay. Glad it wasn't any bigger than it is. That's, that's I think, going to be the what's going to happen, you know, everywhere from Pleasanton South is uh, we're going to see that more often. But fortunately, the cause of those quakes is not the same as it is in places like California where get the really major, really damaging quakes, uh, and that's not just here, but worldwide. You're you're not looking at tectonic action. You're not looking at global plates sliding over one another. So uh, bad news is they're going to happen. The good news is that hopefully they're not going to be too severe. Yeah, that's what we hope. It's it's not used to it, so you know, <laughs> a little bit of California moving this way, I suppose. But I I've, I've got a question for you so I, I made some tomato cages out of welded wire uh-huh. uh, and they're a bit rusty and yeah. i have an idea and i don't know if it's a bad one are you familiar with a product <laughs> called osfo that green liquid yeah. yeah would it would it be bad if i sprayed them with osfo to convert the rust would that hurt the tomato plants later on or i yeah i wouldn't do it i wouldn't do it while the you know when you have tomatoes in there um, if you want to spray before you put your cages out, uh, that's fine. But I'm not sure 
you know, rust is basically ferric oxide and is not very soluble and uh, it, it takes a long time in the soil for it to be converted to an iron form that the plants can use. I'm not sure how much the OSFO speeds that up. It's great for cleaning up materials, but I'm not sure that you're going to get a lot of benefit from it. And uh, a rusty tomato cage grows just as good a tomato. Yeah, I, I know it does. I just figured, you know, if I can spray it with Osfo now and it you know, keeps it from rusting a little bit, maybe I won't have to replace the cage as often. But yeah. Well, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, well, and of course, you know, you're making your own. Um, just, you know, try to keep from... Uh, Try to keep from using a torch everywhere you can, and uh, they'll hold up a long time as long as they don't get superheated. I, I'm still using the uh, uh, Texas tomato cage, and I've got some that I bought 25 years ago that are still in good shape. But uh, um, do do a little experiment. Uh, you know, tre- treat a handful of the cages with it and a handful of cages uh, without, and be sure you keep good records as to where they are. And uh, I'd love to hear back from you what your results are. Hopefully good and uh, not bad, but uh, try a little side-by-side, and you'll know, number one, whether it's harmful, and number two, whether you're spending time and money that uh, didn't really give you good results, or maybe you're on to something that really will help everybody. Okay. Well, I appreciate that, Bob. And one one last question. What... uh what pear variety do you recommend? Do you have a personal favorite? With and you're talking about you know pear trees, right? You yes, sir. you want to choose a pear according to its resistance to bacterial fire blight, and there's a number scale zero to ten, I believe, and you want to get the ones that are most blight resistant. Uh, unfortunately, none of them are soft pears. Um, the probably the closest one to a soft pear is going to be one called Warren W A R R E N, uh, but there are a number of good pears. Uh, Warren is one. Fanstill is another good one. Uh, Kiefer is another good one. Uh, Lacante uh, is a good pear. Always plant at least two varieties because uh, pears do require insect pollination. Um, it doesn't matter if the other tree's a hundred feet away or even you know a couple of hundred feet away. The bees will carry the pollen around. But um, uh, pears are are so different from peaches and plums as far as how we care for them, how we don't prune them. Uh, and the, But on the other hand, the chilling hours aren't really important. Most any pear variety is going to do okay for you. But uh, Moonglow, Seckle, Monterey, Kiefer, Orient. Uh, Kiefer and Orient are probably the two most common. They're, they're moderate in the blight-resistant scale, but I've, I've seen very little, if any, fire blight on them. As long as you don't over-prune them and as long as you stay with organic nitrogen, uh, pear trees are going to be productive and probably live 100 years for you. But uh, don't, don't plant Bartlett, don't plant the real soft pears you see in the grocery store because uh, they'll probably be dead from fire blight within a couple of years. All right. I appreciate it, Bob. You have a good morning. And you do the same, Tom. I really appreciate the call. Let's take a break here while you give me a call. I do have a couple of open lines at 210-599-5555. I get to talk to you about Medina Agriculture. And, uh, you know, we're talking so much about soils, about microbial life in the soils, about building organic material in the soils. 
Or Medina's been doing that for, oh gosh, close to 60 years now, maybe over 60 years actually. And they are the leaders in putting microbes to work for you. That's why they inoculate most of their fertilizers with, uh, some different, uh, some different mycorrhizal fungi and things like that. They're always high in the natural things, the humates, uh, both liquid and dry humates. Actually, they package those separately if you like, and you can use them to just fortify your soil. Been talking a lot lately about their two good liquid fertilizers, the new liquid fish blend along with the has to grow plant. Even where I've used their good dry fertilizer in the vegetable garden and flower beds, I follow up with the liquid fertilizers as well because I think it produces more and earlier when you do that. Of course, they also have things to soften the soil, like the original Medina Soil Activator, the improved one they call Medina Plus, and then there are all those separate things that they package, like orange oil and liquid humates and liquid seaweed. Medina is just a top-quality company that works with nature to make your garden and your life better. Check out all their products at medinaag.com. Find their products wherever you buy good quality garden products. Medina Agriculture. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening on a <laughs> chilly, windy morning out there, but about what you'd expect for, what is this, the 17th day of February, over halfway through the month, and, you know, by the time we get to the end of the month, we're going to be, you know, staring at spring, even if it's not totally here. Uh, looks like my next three callers are James, Robert, and Janice. James is first in line. Good morning, James. Morning, Bob. How you doing? Oh, man, wishing I had that iron stove going this morning to stay warm. It's a little chilly out there, but uh, do you agree with me? The main thing is to keep the wind off those tender transplants you might have out? Oh, man, wind is uh, your number one enemy in, in, in springtime in Texas. That, that'll yeah. beat you up pretty bad. Yes, sir. Well, what's going on in your world? It looks like next week's going to be uh, real good weather for making compost tea in the greenhouse. Uh-huh. We usually uh, dilute uh, a 50-gallon batch. Uh, we we fill up, uh, well, another tank about half full with dechlorinated water, and then we get 100 gallons out of that 50-gallon uh, batch. Yeah. The big boys will go uh, dilute five uh, or 10 to 1 to, to mm-hmm. do the big fields and, and get everything done. And I didn't know if your gardeners knew that they could dilute that tea. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's always good to remind everybody. But it's just, you know, my mind it has trouble wrapping around how many microbes there are in compost tea when you're making it right when you're using the right things and i know you get some great things from compost tea labs but uh we're talking not millions but billions of microbes out there so you can dilute it down pretty far and still get really good results uh you just have to as you well know have to be sure you've maintained good aeration all the way through the process both in brewing and uh while you're while you're putting it down, if uh, you know, it, most of the time, you know, you're bouncing around enough, you're getting some natural aeration. But uh, if you're if you're a pro, you know, you've got you've got a way to keep maintain the aeration the whole time. But long as you do that, there's uh, 
there's just not much of anything's better for building the soil than improving the effectiveness of your fertilizer program. Well, 10 to 1 means that a little 5-gallon uh, brewer can can give you uh, 50 gallons of finished compost tea at the end of the day, and that, there's no such thing as too much compost tea. <laughs> No, we 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 put it down a number of different ways, and any time we get through with what we needed to do, we just go back and pour what's left around the around the worst areas of soil. But yeah, fifty gallons, uh, depending on you know what your crop is and or whether you're just doing pasture grass, that'll that'll cover several acres. Yeah, I always like to clean out the compost tea barrels over there by my favorite uh, Japanese persimmon tree. Mm-hmm. And uh, it appreciates all that. Do you do you rinse them with hydrogen peroxide, or how do you take the biofilm out of your uh, out of your tea maker? Oh, I just get in there with the uh, the the tea bag and wash it by hand. Uh huh. It's uh, put them on the nursery benches and just get inside and and scrub them down. Do you, uh, I uh, you use a uh, Go ahead. Hydrogen peroxide, but I never have. Yeah, it it really, I think, depends on what kind of compost tea maker you have. Um, does yours um, aerify with like an airstone, or does it have that uh, that kind of a flat disc that uh, uh, just puts out millions and millions of bubbles? Oh, we get bubble what they call bubble snakes from uh, mm-hmm. uh, okay. compost tea labs. Yeah, and those you it can really, clean pretty uh, easily by really hand. Is. Yeah, the the one the one that we have uh, out of Oregon, which makes twenty five gallons at a time, it has um, oh it's it's like it's a, like a rubberized. I don't know exactly what the technology is there, but I find that thing best rinsed with hydrogen peroxide if you really want to do a good job. The sides of the tea maker, like you say, just a little a little rough sponge and a little elbow grease uh, will clean that up pretty well. So, um, yeah, it's it's important to do it uh, fairly often. If you're making it every day, I think you can probably run through a week's worth of batches uh, before you really need to clean thoroughly. But it's important that you don't get anything anything bad building up in that biofilm, and that does mean cleaning pretty thoroughly. Yeah, we pump it out to the uh, beds and different parts of the garden with a just a regular little sump pump that you get at the uh, oh, yeah. hardware store. It's I think it's a third horsepower or something like that. Yeah, you can probably do an even better one at Northern Tool or somewhere like that. But uh, yeah, they 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 will empty it in a hurry and sure <laughs> sure makes your life easier. So what are you planting right now? Well, the tomatoes plants are uh, almost ready to go into the hoop house. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm waiting for maybe another week to see what the weather's going to look like. Uh, and then uh, I'm just covered up with, with uh, <laughs> gee, you name it, man. I got it. As there's so much to do and so much to know and so much to grow. I enjoy talking to David down at David's Garden Seed, and he's got over a 100 varieties of tomatoes, both heirlooms and new ones. And uh, you, you always plant, you know, some tried and true ones, but it's always fun to do a little experimenting and uh, 
sometimes uh, some some of those ones that we've forgotten about that I grew with my grandfather a lot of years ago. Uh, it's fun just to have some diversity out there. Where where you're doing it semi commercially, you you got to have good production. But uh, I'd be interested to know what you experiment with every every year because we always try a few just to see how they're going to do, and sometimes they work out well, and sometimes not so well. How big do those mortgage lifters of yours usually get? Uh, biggest is probably a half pound. They're what I call a half pound class tomato. Um, don't get as big as some of the others, but they're, they're a good tomato. And they're actually about four different mortgage lifters, four different ones that share that name. And, uh, I don't know how to separate one from the other, but they're, I'd say for me, they're probably a half pound class tomato. What about for you? Oh, I've been growing them like forever. Uh, I'm, I'm betting the farm on these crops, so we have to grow celebrities. Yeah. Yeah, there's no no better tomato out there than celebrity. I still like early girl. I like better boy. You know, I like the purple Cherokee where you're looking for something a little different, but just for one that's going to do a good job for you every year, it's hard to beat celebrity for a good-sized slice of tomato. Well, I'm a day away from planting carrots, so I got to get uh, finish that uh, that growing <laughs> bed smoothed off. Well, you get out and get your work done, and it's always a pleasure to hear what's going on in your garden and your greenhouse, James. Always good to hear from you. You stay warm today. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, uh, Robert and uh, Janice are going to be my next two callers, but right now I need to take a break for a moment. It looks like I get to talk to you about Fanix and talking about uh, <laughs> talking about Fanix, talking about tomatoes. They've got over over forty varieties of tomatoes and over twenty varieties of peppers out there now, ready to plant. I don't know if I put the peppers directly in the ground yet, but if you want to pot them up a little bit and grow them up to be a little bit bigger plants, uh, you're going to find a great selection over there. They've also got a good selection of fruit trees of all sorts. When you move inside, they're offering 30% off on their house plants uh, all the way through the rest of this month. So there alone is a pretty good reason to get over to Fanix and take a look. Uh, they've got citrus, they've got grapes, they've got uh, seed potatoes, just about anything you'd be looking for. With 10 acres of nursery, you've got room to have a lot of things. They also have those Traeger pellet grills and supplies. Also the Ego, Ego lithium-ion battery outdoor equipment. Two or three new things there I'll let you tell them about or let them tell you about about but uh, it's always a great day to run by Fanix. they're there seven days a week to serve you on home green road right where they've been for 85 years check their website too at fannicnursery.com because they've always got something fun to go in celebration of 85 years Fanix nursery and garden center south texas gardening with bob webster news talk 550 ktsa and fm 1071 all right, back to gardening. Robert and Janice going to be my next two callers, and Robert is first in line. Good morning, Robert. Yeah, good morning, Bob. Uh, morning. Just trying to stay out here to get these uh, squirrels off my my bird feeders, you know. <laughs> well, I tell you what, uh, if and you don't have to use it every time, but if you want to get them going somewhere else, look for this seed that is called flaming hot. Uh, flaming mm-hmm. hot bird seed is produced right up in New Braunfels, and birds don't taste the heat, so they don't they don't even know it's in there. 
But uh, that pepper oil they put on there, it'll keep the squirrels away. It'll keep the raccoons away. It is so concentrated that uh, the guy that makes it, his guys have to wear hazmat suits to put this together. But uh, that's, I mean, there are some some feeders that are a little bit more squirrel resistant. But uh, the, the flaming Hot is, uh, the squirrels just don't come around anymore. Is that sold in a 40-pound bag or a 30-pound bag, something like that big? I don't know if they do a, a bag that is that big. We normally, well, we put out some of the, they make like cylinders, drums out of it, and also flat cakes you can put in a suet feeder. The loose seed, it seems like uh, all I've seen so far are smaller bags, but um, I know people that dilute it down. They mix it with a little bit of uh, untreated seed, and squirrels still seem to get the idea that if you're not sure which one of those things is going to set your mouth on fire maybe you better not eat any of it so um, i think you can thin it out a little bit but uh um, it sure does work yeah i think i called uh birds unlimited and, and they 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 carry a 40 pound bag or something like that oh they do well very good yeah. i i hadn't seen that yet uh yeah but yeah it's I, it's I, per- I called, but yeah it, hey, Bob, it's, but, it's, uh, the main question that i wanted to ask you is uh when do i Trim those sago palms. You know, uh, they're burnt, you know, from the freeze, but I see a kind of like a green, uh, vein that comes from the center and that, yeah. you know, still, uh, do you think that's any good? Well, um, your, your sagos, every sago I've looked at, you know, is not severely hurt. They got a lot of cosmetic damage and they need all the green foliage they have. So, uh, you might as well go ahead and trim it. A sago only grows for about two weeks out of the year. It puts on one right. big set of fronds, usually sometime around April or May, unless it happens to be the year that the sagos decided to reproduce, in which case sometimes they can skip here making any new fronds at all. So I would go through and just totally remove any fronds that are all brown, the ones that are sort of half brown and half green. It's a little bit of work, but trim enough of the brown off to... Um, right. Make them a little look a little nicer, but uh, leave all the green you can. But uh, I, you know, have looked at a lot of uh, burned sagos this year, but none of them seem mm-hmm. to be severely hurt. Yeah. Uh, and the last question I wanted to ask you: uh, you, you were talking earlier uh, to a gentleman uh, about uh, that compost, and I yeah. live here in the t- Timberwood area, and uh-huh. so uh, be two eighty one. I went. I, I, I've gotten in the past, uh, it was a different name on, that on-site one, but you're saying mm-hmm. the one that's further down the, down the street is, is better better product? I don't know that. I just, uh, I, I do not like biosolids. I will, you know, freely admit that. And uh, Saws actually pays these compost companies to take their biosolids. And so uh, they're more than happy to take and blend them in. And I don't object to the fact that it's human waste. I object to the fact that today's waste stream is full of pharmaceuticals, maybe full of pesticides. It's got all kinds of stuff in it that I just don't really want to put. I mean, it's fine to put on your pasture or something like that. But right, uh, right. that's I I would I would ask for biosolids free compost wherever you can find it. Timberwood Park, you've got a couple of uh, uh, sites out there on Blanco. Right. I've not stopped and looked, but uh, 
because I, I yeah, make that, it go that way. There. I, yeah. I forget about her on Blanco Road, and I don't know if she does carry in this. I normally go to the on-site, but yeah, yeah. Site right. one. we got about three of them. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I just, I'd tell them you really want some biosolids-free compost, and uh, they should be able to influence their suppliers to get it for you. Nobody yeah. makes their own anymore. Since Fertile Garden Supply went out of business after Kenny died, I don't think anybody in San Antonio uh, is still making much in the way of compost. They might be over at the site one that is now the old Fertile Garden Supply. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's not too far not too inconvenient because it's right on 1604 and they can swing around uh, the mess that uh, and 1604 is on the north side of town right now. But uh, uh, one of these days that construction will be finished and uh, their time-wise are not that far away. So I think it'd be worth checking with them as well. You're saying that, is that the one on 1604 and somewhere around there? Uh, 1604 over toward, uh, it's before you get to Highway 90. It's where Fertile Garden Supply used to be. Um, it's not quite as far over as Culebra, I don't believe. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, in fact, it's not too far beyond Bandera Road. Okay, Bandera Road. Okay, real good. Okay, well, I'll, I'll take a look at it and call them up and see who's got the best and... They always give us a military discount. It always comes out good. You know. uh, that's always appreciated because we appreciate your service. Thank you very much, Bob. Thank You're you sure welcome, Robert. Thank you for what you do for the community here. Okay? <laughs> it's it's my pleasure getting to talk to people like you. So you keep up what you're doing. And uh, let me get Janice in here before the next break we need to take. Good morning, Janice. Good morning. Thank you so much for taking my call. You oh, know, my I pleasure. I that you have... Uh, my favorite radio program and my favorite <laughs> plant nursery. I well, I appreciate that more than you know. Thank you very much. Okay, I have two questions. Um, my daughter's family bought in a house with an old raised bed that I'm trying to re- renovate for them. Uh-huh. Um, it's held up with railroad ties, and there's a bunch of termites in there, so I put some diatomaceous earth all around in, like, the openings and around all the wood, and I put some boric acid in there. And next time it rains, I'm going to try to get some nematodes. And the beneficial nematodes, yeah, beneficial nematodes yeah. will do more than anything else you're doing to control the termites. Okay, the, but the, somebody told me yesterday that... In um, their old railroad ties, they had mm-hmm. some wasp nest or hornet nest, and they were real aggressive. And I'm concerned about that because my daughter has a two-year-old. I'd love to get into gardening, but she's sure. allergic to things that are, you know, that are that stinger. We already had to call emergency once. Yeah. Is there um, any way to prevent them from going in there? Just uh, if you'll spray spinosad around, spinosad's a pretty good wasp killer, and um, they, uh, they're they actually, we call them hornets rather than wasps, and they are a ground-dwelling wasp, uh, and they are aggressive. Um, and, you know, if you've got a, any family member that's allergic, do, do follow your doctor's advice and keep an EpiPen on hand. But if you'll spray periodically with the liquid spinosad, 
that is a pretty big deterrent. The other thing you can do, and you actually mix it in if you like, is to put some garlic with it, some liquid garlic. And uh, they don't really like that stuff. But just, uh, it, it's not that they're attracted to uh, uh, railroad ties. And same way with the termites, uh, it shows that the railroad ties are pretty old. They're just going after any wood source they can find. With the hornets, they just are looking for, you know, some nice soft soil. They, they make sort of an underground nest. And uh, I'll never forget riding down a trail with uh, a group of us coming. I've forgotten if we were coming. I think we were coming out from uh, packing into the mountains. And uh, my partner rode a horse over uh, some wooden logs on the ground. And uh, uh, the hornets came out, stung her horse on the rear end and let's just say it was an exciting ride for a little while there so they're bad news no matter how you face it but the uh the the ad, especially with little garlic acid added uh should be very repellent to them okay so like once a month once every two weeks what do you think uh during the active season um You're probably going to be spraying some things in the garden anyway for stink bugs. Just every time you spray what you're growing, just, you know, kind of make circle around the perimeter. Uh, Probably once a month is going to be going to be adequate. Okay, great. Thank you. Well, you're more than welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Anything Um, else I can help you with this morning? Please. I have a uh, bonfire dwarf peach tree, and it's really pretty. I don't really care if it makes peaches, but that's a bonus, I guess. Mm-hmm. But um, during the summer this past season, I had about um, 12 full-size peaches, but they mm-hmm. never got ripe before they got rotten and dropped, and they were, like, lumpy. Yeah, They weren't smooth on the outside. Um, what's going on there? Well, most of the dwarf fruit trees are high chill. There are very few of the peaches uh, that will do in this area. Most of them, peaches and nectarines, uh, they may grow up in Fredericksburg, but it's partly just not a variety that's ever going to bloom well or produce well unless we get a really, really long winter. Um, You probably, you may have had a little bit of a bacterial issue. You may have had some insects uh, get after them. Um, While you're, you know, while you're spraying that uh, raised bed, don't spray while the bees are active. While they're, if they are in bloom, don't spray at that point. But um, I'd put some beneficial nematodes around the base of the tree. I would uh, keep a fairly heavy mulch. This is going to eliminate most of the borers that will get into the fruit. And periodically, you know, spray the fruit trees with a combination of garlic, uh, maybe a little hot pepper. And if you have any insect uh, pests, then... Uh, um, some of the some of the spinosad would help. I think Howard Garrett has just put on his website uh, his fruit tree spraying program, and that's certainly going to apply to your uh, dwarf peach. But again, until they come out with some that don't require quite so much chilling, you're probably never going to get a heavy crop from it. Okay, great. Oh, thank you very much. Well, it's always a pleasure talking to you. You get out and enjoy this uh, this February day, Janice. Thank you for the call. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. All right, let's get our last break of the hour done, and that means I get to talk to you about Wild Birds Unlimited. 
Oh, such a special place to talk about. I just love Wild Birds Unlimited. And yes, they do carry the flaming hot seed that we were just talking about, along with all sorts of other good seeds. Wild Birds Unlimited, the folks out there, Kyle and all his staff, they understand birds. They know that birds eat a different seed in the winter months than they do in the summer months. And uh, they always have the right stuff. You can bet your grocery store doesn't. They also know that young birds uh, or birds at this time of year raising, getting ready to raise, they're young they need more protein they need more insects and that's uh, some of the different suet cake that provides those birds with what they need certainly time to put out new nesting boxes if you're hoping to attract martins you definitely need to get that martin house up soon wild birds unlimited is there to help you with all those issues plus lots of ways to offer water to your birds in ways that are beautiful as far as beautifying your garden your area where you want to attract the bird but wild birds unlimited is more than a bird store they've got great gift merchandise you just need to go by and fully appreciate all the beautiful things they have over there, and the knowledge of Kyle and his staff. Uh, It's hard to find a question they can't answer when it comes to nature, especially when it comes into attracting and feeding the birds. Fun place to visit always is where I do a lot of my gift shopping. It's uh, out on uh, Northwest Military at Hebner Road out there in that shopping center, sort of on the side that faces Northwest Military. You'll stand there a distance away and say, God, that's not a very big store. You'll walk through the door and you'll say, my gosh, how did they ever get so many things in here? Wild Birds Unlimited, check them out. And uh, if you have any questions, uh, 479-BIRD is the the phone number, 210-479-BIR for Wild Birds Unlimited. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone line. Celeste is next in line. Good morning, Celeste. Is Celeste there? Good morning. Hello. Hello, good morning. Oh, (laughs) good morning. Um, my first question is, um, I have two hibiscus plants in pots, and um, they've done very well through the cold, um, coldest weather, but do I cut them back yet? Um, are they pots that you move in and out? Are they pots that you cover? Um, how, you know, tropical hibiscus need, need some help through the winter and winter's not over, but, uh, are these things that go in and out with some regularity or do you cover them outside where they are? Uh, I moved them in. Okay. If you want to cut them back, you can. Um, hopefully you're going to be able to move them outside and leave them out in the not too distant future. And the the problem is moving them around. When you cut them back, you stimulate new growth. That new growth is tender and easily broken. So if you can be super careful with handling them, you can cut them back now. Otherwise, I'd probably hold off a couple of weeks. Okay. Um, the next, um, well, that would be the same with Bougainvillea right now. Bougainvilleas are pretty tough. Um, Bougainvilleas, yes, it would be the same. But uh, with Bougainvilleas, it's especially important that you don't prune them back too much because uh, until you're ready to move them out because Bougainvilleas take really bright light to keep the growth compact. You don't want to cut them back and then have to keep them inside or you'll get spindly growth that probably won't bloom as well. So um, whenever you're planning to 
move them outside, and sometimes we move them outside and then cover them up a time or two, that's the time to cut your bougainvilleas back. The, the hibiscus seem to put on pretty good growth uh, without quite as much light, but, boy, those, those bougainvilleas want full hot sunlight to continue to make a compact plant. Okay. Now, my other question is about nightshade plants. Mm-hmm. I, um, I really didn't ever know that category of plant. And that includes vegetables that I like. You like tomatoes and eggplant and uh, some of those things, yes, ma'am. For years, and you know, potatoes. I didn't grow potatoes, but I love them. But um, I was recently with a family member who just, (laughs) you know, made me feel like I was poisoning myself every time I ate any of those. No, not in any way. I will tell you, some people have an allergic reaction to them. Some people, their digestive system doesn't tolerate that as well. But um, no, people have eaten nightshades as long as we've had civilized. In fact, whole civilizations are built around different plants that are in the nightshade family. There are some toxic nightshades out there, but you know, not not tomatoes or peppers or potatoes or eggplant just just be sure that uh your body doesn't have an allergic reaction to them but uh they don't don't let anybody telling you tell you you're eating you're poisoning yourself because that's simply not true well you know and and i don't know so much about poison but uh you know you're ruining your gut health and all of that no. Unless you, unless you peel the tomato. Well, you know, I love the little <laughs> cherry tomatoes and all of those. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, I just, I had never, I mean, I'm not real young, so I'd never heard of that in all these years. No. It, if there are some people who have a sensitivity to them, as there are people who have a sensitivity to virtually every foodstuff on the planet, uh, if you're... Your gut's going to tell you if it's not happy, and that's, you know, all things in moderation. But uh, do not let anyone condemn you for eating nightshades because they're among the healthiest things out there, high in vitamin C, high in lots of good things. And unless you have a specific uh, sensitivity to them, continue to eat and enjoy them. Okay, then then real quick, uh, I was looking up what other plants that are not vegetables, but the plants that I plant. Yeah, there are some bad ones out there. I'm going to have to let you go because it's news time. We'll talk again here on KTSA Radio. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555. Uh, but don't dial right this second. We'll save about the last 25, 30 minutes of the program for more phone calls. And, of course, we do this again tomorrow morning for three hours from 8 till 11. But right now, hey, it's the time we get to visit with uh, with the Dirt Doctor. Good morning, Howard Garrett. How are you today? Good morning, and how's everybody south? Everybody south is being affected by the north wind <laughs> this morning, and I don't know. We're all we're all just so anxious for spring to get here after the after the cold January we have. But it's a chilly day down here. What about up in your part of the world? Yeah, it's the same thing. We uh, played in a little golf deal yesterday. In the last couple of holes, it it got um, chilly. It was. <laughs> It was forecast, so they got it. They got it right. Looks like we're going to get down close to frost uh, time again here in the next day or so. 
Al, we're looking at the same thing. They're actually showing 30 degrees for hill country where I live. And so uh, I'm, there are a lot of things I'm glad I haven't planted. But uh, I've been trying to tell people about how important it is to protect things from the wind. This cold, drying wind is in my opinion, is uh, really hard on plants, uh, more so than just the cold temperature alone. That's right. I've got a few more annuals to plant that uh, my helpers had some family uh, health issues, and so I'm running behind and going to have to do some work today in the cold. <laughs> I, I've got an interesting uh, confession for you. Okay. Well, I'm planting stock. Some uh, mm-hmm. blue stock, really pretty stuff. And it dawned on me as I was planting that stuff that I have never planted it before. <laughs> you know, I've been gardening for a long time, and I got to thinking back, and I thought about something that's even more embarrassing to have to uh, confess. When I did my first plants of the Metroplex, which was mm-hmm. 1974. Oh, wow. Uh huh. I threw it together in a hurry, and I had. Uh, some people kind of semi-involved in the thing, and I, well, I was really learning on the go, to, to say the least. And I took well, I have to say it was my Bible early on, so you did a good job, even if you were in a hurry. But 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 go ahead and confess your uh, uh, your your uh, I won't call them sins, but what what did you not do? <laughs> well, you know, you, as you I'm sure assume, I had some errors in the very first. Uh, publication that we did, and I took it around showing it to people at nurseries, and I took it by to show it to, to Ralph Pincus at North mm. Asian Garden. Uh-huh. And Ralph kind of looked through it, and, and he just immediately came to one of the biggest mistakes I had in it uh, in that first edition. He said, Howard, this looks like stock, and it was labeled and explained as wallflower. So I had... My my first stock experience was I didn't have the slightest idea of what it was back in those days. And for some reason, maybe it it has something to do with it. I have never planted the stuff, but I just planted some of the the blue, and it's beautiful. And uh, as you talked about earlier uh, in your show today, it's one of those plants that can take some frost. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I've been really missing out. It's doing something else that I'm I'm so unfamiliar with. It caught my attention. Yesterday I was walking by it, and I saw, in addition to the blue flowers, there was yellow spots all over it. And I looked at it closely, and it looks like the the young flowers are yellow before they turn blue. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they come out, and they do darken up. Um, as a lot of things that have anthocyanins do, but uh, yeah, it's a wonderful plant. Uh, there are single varieties and double varieties. Uh, I think the double varieties are showier, but uh, the fragrance of that stuff is just absolutely wonderful. And I will tell you, I at one point uh, I had some of it live for three years, made it through the hot summer, and oh, came really? back uh, for three years. So I wouldn't count on it. But uh, it it has that potential, and uh, you love cutting things from the garden and bringing them inside, especially foliages. But this is one cut flower that you can cut, and uh, it typically will last uh, 10 days to two weeks in water. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think you're going to find it something you will always plant now that you're giving it a try. Oh, yeah, no question. 
about it. I have no idea how I've gone this long <laughs> in my horticulture career without ever planting or having any experience with that plant at all. But it's true. I have to well, admit it. I, you know, I think we all have to admit the same thing. There, there's so many things come along that somebody will ask me about, and I say, well, unfortunately, I don't have any experience with that one. But uh, there's just so much out there, and there is so much more that's available. I talked early this morning. I don't know if you were tuned in this early, but uh fellow used to be here in San Antonio and now is south of town, but uh, he has a big seed production facility as well as buying seed from some places, but uh, and he packages the seed in, in really in a homeowner size package, but he's got over a thousand varieties of seed. He's got over a hundred varieties of tomatoes. So there's just an awful lot of fun stuff out there for anybody who's got the time and patience to, uh, to grow it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I have gotten some stuff from them before and, uh, have recommended them. So I'm running behind on all that seed buying myself. I'm going to probably be doing mostly uh, purchasing transplants this year. <laughs> as one, as most of us do one more quick thing on the uh, stock uh, when you look it up you have to put uh, at least i did you have to put stock flour in or it takes you to uh, trading stock <laughs> <on> the stock market <laughs> but the, uh. the other the other common names that it uh, uses i uh, wondered if you had heard these One's gilly flower, G-I-L-L-Y, and then hoary, just hoary by itself, H-O-A-R-Y, and ten weeks is another common name for it. I'm, those are all new to me. The, yeah. Is it Mathiola or something like that, yeah. if I'm remembering the genus Good. on it? but uh, yeah. You're much better at those uh, botanical names than me, but that's it. Well, anyway. it's... I'm I'm glad you're discovering it. I'm glad you brought it up because uh, it's something more people ought to grow. Um, And you can put it in pretty early. We start getting it usually sometime in January. And, of course, this January was unusually cold. But, uh, yeah, it's one of those things. It's kind of like snapdragons. It may or may not make it late into the summer. But, Golly, in a world where we pay six bucks for a cup of coffee, uh, I think I think betting annual betting yeah annual betting plants are still a very good value. That's great. I tell you how badly I ignored it. I have it in my big book, the, uh, <laughs> the Texas Gardening the Natural Way, uh, kind of brief explanation of it. But I did not even have it on DirtDoctor.com. Oh, goodness. <laughs> you do a, do a search in DirtDoctor.com for stock, and it doesn't, nothing comes up. It's Yet. <laughs> oh, very good. Well, it's being I, written as we speak, though. <laughs> well, get some good pictures, and um, if, uh, you know, Roberta's so much better photographer than I am, and uh, we probably we just got a truckload out of California this morning, and we that's where we get for people we we get little bedding plant stock for people to put in their gardens. But for somebody that wants something, you know, when they've got suddenly realize they've got that dinner party tonight and they've got some ugly pots, we get some bigger pots of it in full bloom. And I I haven't been out. The truck came in at seven this morning, and obviously I'm I'm tied to the headphones here. But if we've got some good varieties, I'll I'll see if I can get her to take some pictures and send you so that you'll have uh, some good things to put along with the description. Yeah, that'd be great. I'm good. 
I've already been taking close-up pictures of my blue one uh, here in the garden. I've got one other quick thing for you, too, uh, related to nightshades. I agree with what you said. I mean, I'm not going to stop eating uh, nightshades, peppers and tomatoes especially. And I like eggplant, too, even though the, the book that uh, is about eat right for your blood type tells me not to eat those things. Mm. But there's one other um, one other little bit of information that goes along with that. I did a newsletter on it some years ago. There is a book that is called Arthritis and Children's Guide to Stop It. Okay. Are you familiar with that book? I'm not. I'm not. Well, it, it's a book that was written a long time ago. It was probably written 60 years ago or something. Oh, wow. He talks... He talks about in the book that uh, there's nothing that will cause arthritis and make arthritis worse than nightshades. And it's pretty detailed. He's a, uh, an MD, the guy that wrote the thing. Um, that, it's on DirtDoctor.com, the explanation about the book and, and uh, how the nightshades supposedly cause uh, arthritis. So people that have arthritis might do kind of an experimental deal, staying off nightshades for a period of time, see if it does any, gives uh, gives them any relief. It may or may not, but he's, uh, this doctor sure thinks there's something to it. Well, that's an interesting, interesting comment because one of our employees here at the nursery uh, has felt the same way. In fact, uh, uh, one of her favorite things is gazpacho, and she says that she has to eat it very much in moderation. But, uh, um, you know, she would certainly agree with that, that uh, it does, if you are sensitive to it, it, it does indeed can give you some problems like that. So, uh, it's you know, I, there are so many different things in the world that, uh, you know, that can cause digestive upsets as well as things like that and i think everybody just has to learn what their own system tolerates but golly if we if we eliminated every plant that affects somebody out there we wouldn't have much left to eat no no question no question about it. but anyway people are interested have some arthritis issues it's called uh, arthritis the children's c-h-i-l-d-e-r children's diet to stop it I made a note of that, and I will look for it. One thing, and and again, I don't know this for a fact, but uh, and you may um, have a, a friend who's a very good restaurateur, very, very good chef, and he actually imports the flour that he uses to make his breads and rolls and things like that and various other things from Italy. And uh, everything he gets in that regard is organic. And he has people that come in that, uh, you know, have been told they have a sensitivity to gluten, which apparently is fairly common. And he'll have people that come in and sit there and eat. He used to make a lot of pizza. He's, he's gone a little different direction now. But when he was, you know, baking all this stuff with organic flour and uh, GMO-free stuff, all these people would come in that said they were gluten sensitive and just pig out on it with no problems whatsoever. So there may or may not be a difference. Yeah, may or may not be a difference, uh, you know, in whether things have been grown organically or things like that. So I think we can't 
paint with too broad a stroke because uh, maybe partly, you know, in our food supply rather than just, uh, you know, saying that every tomato or every eggplant, every pepper may have the potential to cause problems. That's right. And the ones that have residue of pesticides on them and uh, were grown with synthetic fertilizers, you know, not don't have a good balance of nutrition. That's part of it as well. Absolutely. I was kind of pleased to hear that Italy had turned away a whole cargo ship full of oats uh, recently because they found uh, Roundup residue in there. And I didn't realize that uh, their government was uh, was that progressive, shall we say. Well, that sounds great. It's, it's happening out there, but it's just spotty. You know, it's here and, and there, and uh, we're still overrun by the, uh, the, by the bad stuff, but we're making a little progress, apparently. Well, and people that have the time and room, and for me it's time to grow their own good garden. It's amazing, um, and, and again, one of our employees has a relatively small garden, but she eats very well out of it and frequently has things to share. So if you do it right, um, you can grow a lot of your own food and you can avoid the GMOs and avoid the pesticides and things. And uh, that brings me to one of my questions. One of my callers asked for an update on the Blue Ranch project, and I also want to hear a little bit more about your about your circular garden project. Uh, how are those two things happening? Well, you'll have to uh, talk to somebody else about the Blue Ranch, the people that I lined up for them, and they got the job of being the managers there. Uh, apparently, uh, don't think they need my advice anymore. So <laughs> I haven't been involved in a, yeah, in a long time there. The, uh, the, the circular garden, the community garden for the uh, uh, Amplex Corporation is the contract has been signed and construction is going to start any day. I'm as I talked to you uh, the other day over the phone. I'm at the point of being between planting. Uh, you know the very last of any cool season stuff and mm-hmm. planning the, the summer stuff and getting that designed and bid and ready to go in we're probably going to have a contractor put the, the stuff in the first time because it's going to be a lot of planting it's pretty pretty big this the first garden is 70 the overall circle uh is 71 feet and then the circular beds you know are five they're going to be a little uh over four feet uh wide concrete walkways two feet wide so hmm. it's going to be our interesting maze and um, a lot of good uh, <laughs> planting area but it it's uh, about to get underway it's a real deal and we've got a second project for the same corporation where these building tiny homes that will be for government employees and eventually vets and people you know that need some help the houses are going to range in size from 600 square feet to 800 square feet and all the landscaping is that we're designing for it will be edible and useful plants i've proposed that to people before and Mm -hmm. gotten a lot of interest but nobody's ever pulled the trigger nobody's ever done it (laughs) This one is going to be done. It uh, plans are at the city for approval right now. 
Well, that's fantastic. Um, back to the to the circular gardens. Um, I'm, I'm trying to visualize this, and and so it's it's in effect a number of concentric rings. Are right. the elevations different? Does each ring a little higher, or are they basically? Is it going to be a flat garden? It's going to be flat. It's on okay. an area where the natural grade is just perfect, and uh, so we're not having to. Uh, do a lot of grading other than just uh, the first step of the contractor will do is to use either a, a sod cutter or a skid loader or whatever they want to use to remove two inches. And if you remove two inches, I've found out in the past, I've had a hard time convincing contractors about this in the past, but if you remove an inch and a half to two inches of sod before you do any tilling, Mm-hmm. It's it's remarkable how clean the uh, the beds will be and free even of Bermuda grass. Mm. A lot of people think Bermuda grass will come back from the roots, but it won't. Yeah. No, it'll only it's... come back from the rhizome. So the big mistake comes in when people, and I've seen people do it a, a hundred times, if they go out and till it and then try to rake it all out. <laughs> Man, that is the worst thing you can do because you just drive pieces of it rhizome down in the ground and you got yourself a weed problem forever hey you do you absolutely do well that's that's really interesting we're of course looking at our future garden project and very definitely just love the idea of a round garden and we're thinking about just for aesthetics um i guess mainly tearing it up with each concentric level to be maybe six or eight inches higher and visually uh you know since we yeah, we, cool. we we don't have anywhere to have one that's seven seventy one feet in diameter but uh it's uh we're still playing with it on paper and a ways away from doing it but uh i just think it's a fantastic idea and i think it would be it's great for a garden but i think it also would have some real potential for interest in any landscape uh it, you know if you planted it with annuals or perennials or you know even woodier material it just sounds like a something that should be some should be pursued well uh speaking of that we've got uh we've got it in the tiny home projects too we've got it as part of the landscaping we've got uh, uh maize uh, type gardens there they're smaller because we don't have as large a space and we're also making one of the round areas that's in the same place the maize uh, gardens are to be a community meeting place. So I'll uh, show you the plans on that. I'll send you the final plans on the uh, on the community garden, too, and uh, it shows you the dimensions and all that kind of thing. It would be interesting for you and Roberta to take a look at, probably. Absolutely, absolutely. You're a very creative person in so many ways, and I, this, this just is, it's really interesting. I think it's just a great idea. And of course, you know, for a home landscape, you don't have that kind of room, but on a commercial project to combine beauty and, uh, you know, a unique sort of a novel idea, um, I don't know. I like round. I like labyrinths. I like uh, uh, the garden we love up in Carbondale, Colorado, has a round reflexology path or walk. Uh, and just, you know, round, round is, is interesting. <laughs> Square and too angular can be boring, but uh, I, I just really find this an interesting idea. Yeah, the original general landscape layout of this tiny home project the architects had done a <laughs> Very nice layout, but it was straight lines and squares and rectangles, you know, and everything. And I said, 
The tiny homes uh, project is also interesting, and the fact that he's doing it uh, benefit people that, <laughs> to overstate it, can't afford a mansion. But when you stop and think about the energy conservation, and just in so many ways, this this just makes so much sense. It's so good for the environment, and so good for the people that will benefit from it. Uh, uh, is uh, you know, I've I've seen some of the tiny homes, but it's amazing how many more people are interested in them. So uh, hopefully it'll be a trend. Well, these are a little different. These are not contemporary designed homes. They look, they're little cottages, and mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's going to be a fun deal. I'll uh, let you guys see it. Well, we will look forward to it. Just a couple of quick things that uh, I found interesting. Um, oh, and one thing's just for people's information. I uh, had somebody call me last week and ask if they could get the sick tree treatment uh, already pre-mixed. And I checked, and MusherGrow is packaging it as a pre-mix. I'm sure they don't have the cornmeal in there yet, but uh, people that are looking for the sick tree treatment without, when just need a little bit and don't want to have to buy all the individual ingredients, uh, they are producing it now, so people just look for the MusherGrow label for sick tree treatment. And so far as I can tell, it 100% follows your recommendations. And well, the other, it's the closest thing there is to it. We don't have anything to do with that, but yeah. so I'm not positive about the formulation but it's the it's the closest thing you can get right now yeah the other thing is i had a caller that had um an interesting experience put out cayenne pepper i think to remain repel mainly squirrels and perhaps bigger things but put out a significant amount of uh, just powdered cayenne pepper and said an absolute swarm of what appeared to be european honeybees came in and was just carrying it off you know, basically picked up everything that uh, they had put out, and I'd never heard of bees going out of ca- after cayenne pepper. I haven't either. Isn't that an interesting idea? I, I need to put some out anyway. We've, Judy especially, but both of us have had problems with rats and squirrels getting into the car around the engine. And, oh, yeah. You know, not, not eating the wires so much, but just making a mess, and I was going to uh, put pepper out around the uh, cars and so putting it out a little bit farther out from the cars might be a good idea and I'll see if I see any of that result too. One other thing, quick thing is I've had problems with uh, pansies that I've 
recently planted with the bunnies eating it first night or two, and I've put I've put uh, blood meal out mm-hmm. and haven't had a bunny since. So yep. that seems to work real well for that. Yeah. I think there's a pretty good repellent for most mammals. Um, if you haven't found it, uh, there is a product. It's called Coles, C-O-L-E-S, Coles Hot Pepper Oil. And let me tell you, this stuff is hot, hot, hot. Um, if you ever want to buy something that's, uh, you know, already already mixed and not, uh, I like your, your formulation for making garlic pepper tea, but if you're trying for repellency, this Coles hot pepper stuff uh, uh, is, is you know, <laughs> it's almost lethal. It's so hot. But a lot of people spray it on birdseed and things like that, apparently. Uh, Roberta, is, you know, her love of birds like we all share, uh, has a uh, oh a homemade peanut butter feeder, so to speak, that's just about a three-inch diameter, maybe slightly bigger than that, uh, cedar pole with some holes drilled into it that uh, she packs with peanut butter and hangs out. And, boy, this is uh, refill it every other day. The birds like it so much. But she mixes some of this cold, hot oil in with that, and it most definitely keeps the squirrels and raccoons away from it. Oh, cool. Well, I might try spraying some on the concrete in the yeah. carport around the cars and see if see if that works. It might do the trick. Appreciate the tip. Well, Ed, you give us so many tips. It's always a real pleasure when we can <laughs> when we can add to your vast knowledge of uh, body of knowledge that you already have. But uh, yeah, that's interesting and. Um, I, it's, it's interesting. You were talking about the problems that a lot of people have with rats and mice chewing on wiring. And uh, apparently the, one of the things is that a lot of the plastic coating on the wiring comes out of China and they've included some, uh, some different things in there that are very tasty to the rats and mice. And that's why they're going after it is because of the plastic they put on the wires. And I'm trying to remember what it is. It's something very familiar, but, uh, doesn't come to my brain right this second, but uh, that's, that has a lot to do with it. Yeah, that's it. It's uh, one of the uh, high fructose corn syrup products. Crazy, crazy. Well, I have mixed breed dog sitting here staring me down, <laughs> telling me that it is time for breakfast, so maybe we just better continue this next week. I would think that's a very good idea, and we will certainly look forward to it. Uh, you guys, as you always say, enjoy those wonderful gardens, but don't forget to protect them tonight <laughs> because it may get a little chilly. As always, Howard, thank you so much for your time. Bob, thank you. We'll see you next time, okay? Look forward to it. Okay. Mr. Howard Garrett is the Dirt Doctor, dirtdoctor.com, best website you will find anywhere to answer your gardening questions, uh, even if they don't have stock on there yet, <laughs> but it will be soon. Anyway, we always so much appreciate Howard spending a little bit of a Saturday with us. I uh, have time for a few more phone calls, and uh, remember, we do this again tomorrow. But before we go there, I get to talk to you one more time about this uh, new product that's out there called Aqualock. And uh, it's just, it's really interesting and really kind of unique and novel. Has a lot of uh, plant stimulants, uh, things that will really improve the growth. Has some earthworm castings in it. And it has uh, what we would call a hydrophilic colloid that 
maintains moisture in the soil. Now it's best where you can actually blend it in, maybe for potting soil for plants that you just have to water too often in the summer months, or maybe that garden you don't get around to watering as often as you should. A pound of it does 100 square feet, and that's uh, what their small bag is, reasonably priced and all natural. It uh, breaks down slowly over about a year and a half. But you know, if you keep the soil too wet just from watering, you're driving the oxygen out, and that's bad for plant roots. Well, this is a material that attracts and holds the water, so you don't have to water as often, but doesn't deplete the oxygen in any way. Here in San Antonio, I know you'll find it at Rainbow Gardens right now, probably find it at some other gardens in the, in the very near future. I also love the fact that uh, it's a veteran-operated company from right here in beautiful Bernie, Texas. So it's a product to look for. It's called Aqualock. I'll be telling you more about it in the future. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Uh, Don tells me we don't have any calls right now. We've got 18 minutes left in the show, so time for at least a couple of them. If you'd like to get through, you know the number, 210-599-5555. I want to repeat what I said early, but I think it's certainly worth repeating, and that is that wind, cold wind, is really hard on things. And a lot of folks are putting out vegetable plants already. We've sold an awful lot of tomato plants the past week with telling people you may need to protect them, and you certainly do need to protect them. Not so much uh, frost protection, but uh, do something to keep the cold wind off of them. What I do when I plant tomato plants is go ahead and put the tomato cage around them and then that bottom 18 to 24 inches I will just wrap a single layer of insulate uh, the white fabric around that and it just almost totally stops the wind still gives you pretty good air penetration and if it's going to be frosty you know I will put a, another little square over the top of that but it's uh, how I how I protect things and I, I grow you know even peppers and eggplant in cages sometimes uh, just for the support but uh even if you're just gonna put the tomato cage there on a temporary basis or whatever you're using uh it's really easy to use that cage as something you can just use clothespins to put that roll cover fabric around again insulate is my favorite but i know there's some ones other ones out there um the dark colored ones may actually help with wind protection they don't seem to do much to keep the frost off but uh Anyway, it's going to be one of those days, one of those nights tonight when we're going to be down in the, maybe below 30 up in the hill country, especially when you get very far up in the hill country. Even in San Antonio, I think there's a potential for frost. Uh, if the wind keeps up, we won't have frost. But uh, if the wind dies uh, and it does get down, I think 34 is the low that I saw for San Antonio for tomorrow morning. But uh, that certainly has the potential for frost. So be sure you be sure you protect what needs to be protected because uh, this is going to be one of those uh, one of those late um, one of those late. Um, I guess we can call it winter. It's not anywhere near spring yet, but uh, February is one of those transitional months where we still do get some chilly weather, so I would do that. Other thing, if you're looking to get some color out there, there are some things that uh, you can certainly plant now. Petunias will take the cold. If we get really cold, it may damage the buds, but the plants will be fine. Stock, which uh, we were talking about with Howard earlier, um, is a great cool to cold weather plant. Snapdragons, 
the taller ones are going to be, you know, busted up by the wind, so um, be sure you put them in a protected area if you're planting the rockets or even the mid-sized ones. Little uh, uh, carpet types, so they're going to be just fine, but uh, they don't mind the cold. They will continue to bloom very late into the spring. And uh, dianthus, that's another plant that people often overlook. There are some absolutely gorgeous varieties of dianthus out there. And uh, they're cold-hardy, oh gosh, down into the teens. So they're something you certainly don't have to worry about. All right, looks like we've got got several people interested in talking. Give me Cindy, Edie, and Alan. Uh, Let's start with Cindy. Good morning, Cindy. Hi, Bob. Uh, I'm looking for a hedge to put between myself and a neighbor's house, and I want something that's somewhat dense and at least eight feet tall. I was looking at the Japanese legustrum, Mm -hmm. and I think it it was called the Japanese blueberry. Which one is more um, uh, (sighs) tolerant of our weather? Japanese blueberry is not very cold hardy, we're finding. You know, we went for many years doing real well with it. In the past three winters, uh, Japanese blueberry has really suffered. Uh, Japanese ligustrum is fast growing. It's dense. It can be invasive because it makes a lot of seeds. I do not recommend it in rural areas because it can, you know, get it can come up a lot of places you don't like it in town i'm not nearly as opposed to it where you need a fast growing hedge better quality but slower to get that big would be japanese yew wonderful cold hardy plant uh, and it will get quite tall um, but it's it, like I say it grows a little slowly same thing is true for some of your big hollies now the yopon is not as dense so if you're really looking for privacy uh, Foster's is one. Uh, Nellie Stevens is a very good holly. Um, and, and these will get up in that 10 to 12 foot range. But again, they're, they're not fast growing. Uh, another option, um, to, you know, to get that kind of evergreen protection would be if you have a fence or if you can, you know, extend the height of your fence. Uh, uh, Confederate jasmine, also known as star jasmine, it'll grow 10 feet tall the first year. It may freeze back. We've had uh, uh, a couple of years we had a little bit of freeze damage on ours, especially in 21, but we didn't have to replant. It came back from the roots without any problem, and that would give you, you know, a dense cover um almost instantly i mean this stuff grows so fast you'll plant it and uh probably two months later it'll be all the way to the top of whatever structure you have it on uh might be a temporary fix where you could plant some of the slower growing shrubs in front of it would be another option another thing i would very definitely consider is clumping bamboo not the spreading type but the clumping type like alphonse car or golden goddess uh, it makes a really dense, almost soundproof barrier, and it does not spread. It does not cause a problem. So, anyway, those were a few options. Okay, so golden goddess, uh, bamboo, and you said the Japanese legustrum would be good. The legustrum is is fast growing. It's invasive. I don't want to see it planted out in the hill country, but here in town, probably just fine. But also look at Japanese yew, y e w. Um, Not as fast growing, but it's an excellent plant. What kind of lighting does it require? Uh, It'll grow in bright shade all the way to full sun. Okay, great. Thank you, Bob. You're welcome, Cindy. Thank you. Goodbye. 
All right, Don, let's get our last break of the show done so we'll see how much time we have left. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Back to gardening. Just finishing up the show. Edie and Alan will be my probably my last two callers. Edie's first in line. Good morning, Edie. I'm glad I got to squeeze in here for a quick question. Me too. Um, <laughs> Bob, I'm embarrassed to ask this because I've heard you explain it many times, but could you please give me the the formula again for making the spray to rid the to get rid of weeds. I know it has to do with orange oil and something and something, but I don't know the... (laughs) Okay. Well, the orange oil softens things up, but the acetic acid in vinegar is what does the actual killing. So the recipe that we use and recommend is a gallon of strong vinegar, and, uh, you know, you can make more or less, but one gallon of vinegar, and to that you would add two ounces two jiggers, if you prefer, of orange oil. Now, in addition, I add just a little bit of molasses. I think it makes it work better. And just a little bit of dish soap, it makes it uh, spray a little bit more evenly. But the two active ingredients, so to speak, are the gallon of strong vinegar. And you can get 20% vinegar at a feed store or a nursery. Uh, If you have tender weeds, you'll probably get by with using just the pickling vinegar, which is 9% from the grocery store. Um, I wouldn't get just, you know, your 5%, just household vinegar, but the 9% is uh, really inexpensive. And for tender weeds like dandelions and clover and things like that, it's all you need. But a gallon of vinegar, two ounces of orange oil, and then just maybe a tablespoon of dish soap and molasses, and you're going to have something that's going to kill everything green. Oh, wonderful. Okay, thank you, Bob, so much. You I appreciate are wo- your time. It's always a pleasure. You get out and stay warm today, and we'll finish up with Alan. Good morning, Alan. Good morning. Good morning. I, good morning, uh, sir. And I didn't have the name of my plant that uh, had frozen back. It was a ginger plant. Uh-huh. Uh, and right now it's just dead leaves laying over, and I thought about leaving them there as insulation. Will that plant come back? It probably will. This is the variegated ginger Yep. Uh, it definitely would if you had mulched it, but in most cases, uh, like the edible ginger, it's not even closely related to that at all, but it grows from an under- underground rhizome, and chances are very good that it will come back. You might as well go ahead and cut it down to ground level because that top is just kind of nasty, mushy stuff after uh, the bad cold we had last month, but uh, uh, don't keep it too wet. Water thoroughly then it'll probably be at least a week before it dries out enough to water again but if you want to water with a little bit of has to grow maybe a little garret juice maybe a little super thrive in there these are all things that will help it come back stronger but uh and and this was in the ground right not in pots but in the ground yeah uh it had real yeah real good chance of coming back uh variegated ginger in pots may or may not it probably still will because while we were really cold it wasn't just prolonged for three or four days like it was back in 2021 but uh, uh things are always more hardy in the ground and that includes variegated ginger but be patient with it soil's got to warm up it may be another month before you really start seeing it coming back 
Yeah, I was telling you they were kind of expensive, but these leaves are dry leaves. They're not. They're not like a, um, you know, some of these plants. It's not a mushy leaf. It's a dry <laughs> leaf. Not a banana palm, or an alocasia. Uh, yeah, it, uh, it almost certainly is going to come back for you, Alan. But I go ahead, and uh, you may find it a little musher. You may not when you get right down to ground level. But go ahead and cut oh. it back. That tissue's dead. It's going to look a lot nicer if you trim and. Uh, um, I, I give you a real strong chance that it'll come come back out and come out strong, be beautiful again. But uh, I sure wouldn't look for it to sprout out for oh, probably another three or four weeks. All right, I'm cross my fingers. Very good. Cross your toes too, just for good measure. Y'all have tomato plants left down there. Ah, lots and lots and lots of tomato plants. Absolutely, and uh, nice All transplants. Right. So whenever you're ready to plant, the tomatoes are out there. I'll be there today. We look forward to seeing you. Thanks so much. Goodbye. Certainly. Goodbye. All right. uh, Just about a minute and a half till news time here. Let me punch that button right there. And I don't think we have anybody else. No, don't have anybody else waiting. So once again, uh, be getting your questions ready for uh, the Home Improvement Show. Martin and Jim will be in here very shortly. And uh, be sure that... if it does get really cold, if you're up in the hill country and it's going to be below freezing, just shut the sprinkler system off before it gets cold. Great to water beforehand, but uh, spraying water on frozen foliage is just a kiss of death for that foliage. And you're not looking at uh, below freezing in San Antonio at this point, but boy, if you're up in Fredericksburg or anywhere up that way, I can almost promise you it's going to be down in the middle 20s and uh, would be very important to keep warm, warm water off of frozen foliage. If you put things like hibiscus out or bougainvilleas or various houseplants and things like that, bring them back in. The mandevillas, all that sort of stuff is going to need to come in. Here in San Antonio, the tender things, just cover them. Bring them in if you can, but uh, cover cover the ones that you can't. But most importantly, do your best to keep the wind off newly transplanted plants, whether it's blooming bedding plants or whether it's those tomatoes out in the garden. Oh, gosh, so many things to talk about, but we'll just save most all of it again for tomorrow. We go on the air at 8 o'clock and last until 11 when Dr. Dan Kirby comes in, and we have an hour of your pet's health. In the meantime, get out and visit a good nursery. Avoid the plants from the grocery store. I'm seeing so many bad things that really shouldn't be sold, so many fruit trees that won't grow here. Visit a good nursery for your plants. This is KTSA Radio.